Episode of Video Game Logic. Today's show was recorded on May the 29th, 2018. I'm your host, Gaming Psychologist, and with me, as always, I don't even know what to say for this go around. <laughs> uh, well, the microphone's actually uh, recording this time, so caffeine rage. There you go. On today's show, we are first going to be discussing some unfortunate news. Total Biscuit passes away at age 33. Then we'll move on to the games that we played this week. We'll have our May Game Club game, which is Battletech. We'll reveal our next Game Club game. Star Citizen offers the Legatus pack. The Ludicrous. Yeah, the Ludicrous pack for 27,000 US dollars. Yes, 27,000. We'll have our weekly community corner. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello again, Rage. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, we were about five, seven minutes in, and I looked up to Audacity and saw Flatline after me talking. Usually a bad sign. Windows sucks. Yeah. It changed my recording settings again. Because we were only a few minutes in, we started over. Yeah, if we'd because... been like a half an hour in, I would have said, fuck it, we're going to use yeah. the Skype recording for the first part. Yeah, and honestly, the Skype recording is not great quality. Probably what I would have done would have separated the Skype tracks out, because each of us gets our own track in that recording, Mm -hmm. and I would have just synced your track up, so you would have sounded crummy for a little while, and then you would sound good again. Well, as good as I can be, at least. Which is pretty good in my book. Well, for some reason... uh Whenever you found out that I played the saxophone, you were just, of course. Of course. Well, of course you play a saxophone. It fits your voice perfectly. You've got a sexy voice, so you'd play a sexy instrument. I just found that hilarious. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. Of course. Um, so, let's see. What did we talk about? We discussed your move and the bonus yeah. episode. So, we did a bonus episode. Uh, because originally we thought you might be out of pocket for recording next week. So yeah, we wanted it really something. depended on just when the lease was signed for the new apartment and when I could get stuff moving. But because of, uh, well, honestly, I blame myself on this because there was a chance I would be able to uh, get the uh, lease signed today. But I was also told that it might be tomorrow because uh, here's the here's a funny thing that actually I didn't mention last time. So, uh, yeah, a little bit more uh, pander, a little bit more talky a uh, bit is that, OK, the apartment manager is actually uh, I went on a week long vacation and got back today. Uh, and she was talking about because everything would back up, there was a chance that I wouldn't uh, even hear from her till tomorrow. So. Usually when she calls, she calls early, early morning because she knows I'm a creature of the night. Well, I didn't hear anything till about 11 o'clock noon, so I decided, okay, I guess I'll be tomorrow. Turned off uh, the ringer on my phone and went to sleep, and then she called within an hour. Of course she did. <laughs> of course. That's that's how it always goes. Yeah. Uh, so I don't get to even start procedures until tomorrow, which means, you know... Unless, for some reason, my local ISP decides to take pity on me. 
I'm probably looking till mid next week until uh, uh, the cable guy shows up. So yeah, right. Yeah, so it's almost certain at this point we'll be running that bonus episode, which is fine. I might cut it up into two. We wound up, we were, I think, intending to go somewhere between an hour and a half and two hours, and we wound up recording like a full three hours. So yeah, and I we mean, didn't but, even touch a topic that we had on the docket. Yeah, but we had well, to. We had well, we had a guest. Yeah, and he and I had to both had to go to bed. So I was dragging pretty bad at work today. <laughs> I was really happy I had three no-shows. Normally, that's annoying to me whenever clients don't show up when they're supposed to. But today, I was like, oh, thank God. I can just close my door and lay my head on my desk for 15 minutes before I have to get up and go check on a few things. Go and... lay down on the couch. Unfortunately, I don't have a couch at my new office. I've asked for one, but I don't think I'll get it. This is more of like a... Well, I was going to say like an office setup, but it's an office no matter what. It's more of a, um, think more like medical as opposed to more clinical, like therapy clinic. Or why don't you just bring in a hammock? I'm going to bring in like some beanbag chairs or something, I think, because they're not against the rules. Like there's certain things you can't have for building safety and things like that, because this is a really big uh, corporate, well, not corporate, they're not corporate, but they're a really big mental health company. So they have some pretty strict rules for like safety and fire hazards and stuff. But oh, beanbag so no chairs don't camp. break. Okay, bring back chairs don't break any of the rules. So I think I'm gonna bring in beanbag chairs. Uh, get some of the uh, the huge ones. Yeah, and then I can take naps in my office again. Or I, uh, how about the beanbag chair that's also like the giant teddy bear? <laughs> and then it can give you hugs. I tried pushing all of my chairs together to take a nap today, but that didn't work out so well. <laughs> And I don't want to just lay in the floor. I don't know how often the clean crew comes. I'm not just going to lay down on the floor in there. Uh, now I'm just imagining a Roomba just bumping into you repeatedly to wake you up. <laughs> I'm going to get like a mat of some kind, maybe like a yoga mat or something. Mm. Do stretches and exercises at work. And that and a cushion would be good enough to lay in the floor and take a nap on. So, uh, Or so I do- could just... Just do work and then leave early every day. I left the office at 4.30 today because I could. Uh, so do we want to do a less crass uh, uh, segue into this? Because, uh, you know, that, hey, uh, happy accident. We get to throw that away. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would have left it in. I have no shame. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yes, well, this, so, this way it was bad enough for me to go, wow. So moving on to our first news topic, uh, Total Biscuit, well... News top f- announce whatever we just felt like it was appropriate to have this first in the show, but yeah. Total Biscuit passed away last week. Uh, he lost his fight battle, whatever people like to say, with cancer. Yeah, it's always uh, 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 I'm I'm never really sure what to say about you know the fight against cancer or you know someone deal with cancer because it uh, never seems like it's quite appropriate. If that makes any sense, yeah. People usually do that to, like, psychologically, having an enemy can give you a boost um, to your mental health, which can help play out to you having a better physical health, but it's always felt weird to me to say that, because cancer is just, I mean, it's just cells that- Yeah, it's you. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. 
But, you know, I never, ever would deny someone, like, whatever they wanted to call their cancer. But, yeah, just from an outside perspective, it's a little bit weird. But, yeah. Well, well, at one point, he was calling it uh, Battlefront 2, so. No, I'm not joking. That's actually a tweet he did. (laughs) Nice. Um, But, yeah, the the news came, was it mid last week, late last Uh, week? It was uh, Thursday, I believe. Thursday. Uh, It was Thursday. Yeah, it was Thursday because uh, the co-optional had just come out, and it was really, really kind of awkward hearing Jesse talk about, well, we'll get uh, TB on here next week and talk about this. Yeah. Yeah, I I posted a tweet to say that it was a little bit weird for me to be weeping for a man that I'd never met, but, you know, we based our entire show off of the show that he yeah, created. Yeah, the general and I always, idea with uh, a little bit of Kerbal Cast thrown in as well. Yeah, but I, I always had the also I always had the utmost respect for him and the way that he just conducted himself, both as like a journalist, critic, pundit, and also in the Co- way that he did his business. He was always very open about everything. Full disclosure. I always respected anything that he had to say, even if I necessarily didn't agree with it. Because I always felt like he was very open about his own biases and was honest with everyone. Which is sadly pretty rare. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for me to even think of someone that even approaches that, to be perfectly honest. Because uh, he was such a rare breed when it comes to games criticism. Uh, to the point where it's tough for me to even call anyone else a critic based uh, around the example that he gave. Uh to the point where he actually shut down his mail because uh, developers kept sending him stuff and he uh, felt uncomfortable being able to review something that he got swag for. I mean, to me, that is a lot of integrity because it's very easy to say, oh, well, I got this, you know, I got a cool t-shirt or I got, you know, a bottle of bourbon or whatever uh, and, you know, kind of play it off. Yeah, but, but he saw the inherent bias that it may impose, even you know, an unconscious bias, and he wanted no part of it. He wanted to be as honest and uh, forthright as possible. And to do that, he cut himself off from a lot of swag. He, uh, I will admit that he was far from perfect, and he really focused a lot on the negative things people would say about him, and that's. Uh, generated a lot by just how he handled his game reviews or he wouldn't even call them reviews he called them first impressions which i kind of picked up as well yeah he was always very open and honest about that fact too and several years ago he said hey you know i i go to therapy for this stuff like i have to because i recognize it's a problem that i have yeah and uh because I, i do wish that he was more uh Commutative with his uh, audience directly instead of uh, uh, speaking to, but not with. But I do understand why, because uh, he generated a lot of hate for some of his opinions. And some of it is uh, very odd that people got that caught up over, you know? Uh, Him uh, disliking a game for mechanical reasons and people throwing shit at him. Yeah, I I never understood that at all let, let alone a game critic talking about specific mechanics 
I mean, there, it's one thing to have, I think it was IGN talking about, yo, uh, Pokemon, uh, this Pokemon game is uh, not good because it has too much water. Instead of breaking down various mechanics and various uh, battle mechanics, for example. Uh, it, yeah. I, I do think that it's going to be a uh, tough act to follow for anyone to uh, be even close to the powerhouse of uh, game review, game criticism that Total Biscuit was. There are a few out there that's kind of pretenders to the throne, but no one even close. Yeah. And even the ones that get, you know, closer to that mm-hmm. have very different approaches than TB. Yeah. Like one of the one of the people that comes to my mind the most the two biggest ones that come to my mind the most as not necessarily replacements, but people that have similar sort of mantles are Angry Joe, whenever he does his really big um, you know, dissecting a thing videos, yeah, which he are pretty do rare. That. Yeah, he doesn't do that often. He's a, more of a game reviewer, and honestly, it feels like he gets caught up in the game a little too much, and he does a little bit too much uh, pomp and circumstance, especially with some of the cosplay that just puts me off. Yeah. Or, or he may not even do it anymore. I haven't watched him in ages. It just it felt very cringy to me, and I just couldn't watch it. Well, he he does less of that now and more whenever he has those videos, not necessarily his reviews, but his videos where he just like talks about a thing. He just, you know, talks into the camera, but he he's not quite as good at organizing his thoughts or either that or he's worse of an editor than TB was when it came to expressing those thoughts. And also, I mean, you know, they call him Angry Joe for a reason. I don't know how much of that is a character and how much of that is his personality, but he will be in the middle of something and he'll get riled up and he'll yell, like just start screaming and be like, you know, fuck this, they're dumb or they fucked it up or whatever. And like, I get that sentiment, but the idea of those videos to me, the idea of those dissections is not to yell and shout and scream, but to present your, your position from a very logical standpoint. Yeah. Which uh, it's kind of funny. You talking about that with someone uh, on the line called caffeine rage. <laughs> uh, yeah, but even uh, then, I'm yeah, you know, I'm actually kind of mellow for everything <laughs> for my name. Yeah, the the only other person that comes to mind, and it, it's both for very different reasons. Uh, Angry Joe, because of the audience size that he has, which means that he has uh, a higher level of potential influence. The other one is Jim Sterling. Um, Jim Sterling is very character heavy. But he's doing more content here lately that's less his uh, Jim Farking Sterling son character and more just him talking, um, which is closer to what he has or what he's like on his podcast, for example, the Podquisition. Mm. But um, I think Jim has got the industry experience and the know-how and the intelligence to have the same level of discussion that TB did. Um, and he's been to some of the those really big industry events. Like, he was one of the people that went to Valve when they had their whole deal, like, uh, last year, whenever it was, um, about all of those big changes that they were supposed to be implementing that we still haven't really seen and, you know, all that jazz. Yeah, which, and he's uh, one which of the Valve, cre- who knows if we'll see him. And Jim was one of the people that they had in their sort of YouTube's pilot program where they're supposed to have 
lawyers available if they ever get sued and I'm not sure what's come of that but like Jim has has been in the right places and talked to the right people um and I think he's got what it takes to do it but his audience size is much smaller I mean it's you know gigantic compared to you or I or most YouTubers but in the grand scheme of things like he was only like a fifth his channel was only like a fifth or sixth of the size of TB's which, you know, cuts down on the potential influence that he has. I mean, his channel's growing. He's been at it for a while. But those are the two that come to my mind to get the closest. There's probably some others that I'm not aware of. But Yeah, well, uh, there's a couple of the uh, YouTubers I'm constantly linked to in the show notes. Uh, Sid Alpha and uh, Yang Ye are closer on the news front. Even though Sid Alpha doesn't put out nearly as much stuff. He has a day job still, so... He'll go several days without posting anything and be behind the curve. And uh, Young, yeah, uh, or it's a little cringy at times, but he also focuses on a, a handful of topics, but goes really in depth on them. So, uh, you know, there are n- more news uh, focused uh, uh, reviewers out there, or, or I should say uh, personalities, uh, which TV yeah. uh, did go into that and dabble in that some, but not nearly as much. He was more on the game. Uh, criticism side of things that's not to say that he wouldn't uh comment uh, at length <laughs> on uh topics because he would uh but it wasn't his primary focus and then there's uh, uh only a reviewer i really follow constantly right now i just did add a bunch more uh gaming youtuber so we're going to have to see how that kind of shakes out in the long run for me uh acg angry centaur gaming does really good reviews but that's more full reviews and not first impressions and it's more of a edited curated thing than what tv did which was more streamer consciousness uh first impressions after the first either a few hours or a handful of hours into some cases several dozen hours depending on the game so, the, you know, it's going to be a tough mantle for anyone to pick up. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, rushing people to uh, replace Total Biscuit, but, you know, there is a power vacuum now, and it, it's a position that has to be filled to, uh, because he was looking out for the little guy. He was looking out for the consumer. He was always consumer first. And that got him into hot water several times with the major game companies. And I think that's uh, part of the reason why I really respected him. Uh, yeah. Was that he would be a consumer advocate in a industry that is quickly becoming, you know, fuck over the consumer as much as possible until the government catches on. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so... It's yeah. all heavy stuff. Yeah, I didn't catch the uh, co-optional this week. Uh, you know, I was sleeping at the time. Uh, yeah, I missed having, the uh, live yeah, show. Yeah, they're but... having a, a memorial. I did put my uh, Twitch uh, Prime uh, uh, thing to uh, Total Biscuit this month. Uh, uh, it was the first month I had Twitch Prime and immediately went to him. So I'll uh, be able to catch it if I wanted to tonight. Not sure if I want to watch it, though, and, uh, instead of just listening to it, because it may be a bit much. Yeah, I don't know if I want to watch it or listen to it. I'll probably wind up listening to it, but I might watch this one just specifically out of reverence. 
granted it has uh, been a week so it you know it, the uh, wounds are still fresh but you know they're they've had time uh, to pack the wounds to uh, dress them so they could start to heal yeah but oh I, I cannot imagine uh, uh, what Jenna's going through right now I mean it's uh, bad enough losing a husband uh, to a, a lung disease like this but on top of it him being such a public personality and seeing the internet catch a light it must be both uh, humbling and uh, just incredibly sad for her to, yeah because uh, he is uh, uh, the news of his passing is number one on uh, the game sub r slash games period uh, on the yeah. uh, top post now I mean he beat out the Nintendo uh, uh uh, president uh, <laughs> dying of cancer was it last year or year before I don't remember I mean that should tell you just how influential he was yeah alright I think I'm uh, ready to move on yeah. to the games that we played this week if you are yeah I think so I, I think we've uh, Talked about it enough, at least for now. It may pop up again at some point. Because uh, th- there were people that were being dicks, of course. There was an ex-Bioware yep. employee. Did you see that? Yep, I saw that. Uh, I wasn't going to talk about it. Uh, just sorry. sort of out of reverence to the whole situation. Uh, well, it was just... It was more... Uh, for the for the most part, people were very respectful to it. But, you know, they're... It just makes the occasional asshole even more of an asshole. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to really say about it. Uh, So, games? Indeed, games. What games did you play this week? Oh, well, I've got four of them. And hey, we have a a fourth game uh, starting right off. Dirt 4. This was a free-to-try game over the weekend. And I, well, tried it. And uh, it got bumped back several places on my wish list because of it. Uh, I guess I should really uh, say right now, I'm actually a a fairly decent fan of the Dirt series, and I like my off-road games a lot more than I do on-road racing. Uh, Maybe it's just the fact that growing up uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was this huge popularity on TV of arena trucks. And it kind of... uh, forge that in my mind that you know uh, racing should be off road and have jumps <laughs> jumps do you make racing better uh, I mean if you've ever seen a, a arena trucks and some of the crazy shit that they used to do uh, you would see how it influenced me <laughs> uh, so the dirt series as rally racing for the most part was some off road racing and rally cross which is uh, uh, on road slash off road and Dirt 4 is, well, actually not the fourth game in the series because there's Dirt Rally and there's a couple uh, others. There's Dirt Showdown that I can think of off the top of my head. And uh, Dirt 4, uh, it's okay. Okay. And it's just okay. That I think that's probably the biggest problem with it is that Dirt 3... It had its problems, but it still had its fun game modes, and it still had a lot of personality. And this, 
they stripped a lot down to it just having four game modes. It has uh, the pure rally, which is actually the meat of the game, uh, which is pretty much standard for most of the dirt games. It has a off-road racing uh, uh, circuit. It has rally cross, and it had one other that I couldn't unlock. And they strip things like Land Rush, which is essentially a, the rally mode, only like twice or three times the speed. Uh, a lot of the more fun events, like a gate crashing, where they have these giant styrofoam blocks and you're trying to uh, get as low a time as possible on a rally course, but every time you hit a block, it stops the clock for a certain amount of time. They got rid of Jim Connor, which I'm okay with that one. I hated those events. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember you didn't like those from the last Dirt game you played. Uh, but it kind of tells you, you know, where we're going with this. You know, uh, they got rid of the uh, the showdown events where it's a one-on-one on-road uh, uh, race. Uh, where it's a split track, so uh, uh, that diverges, but you have to do two laps. Essentially, you're on the inside and outside lane, and it's like a giant Mobius strip. All right, so it, as you're racing one line, it uh, slowly transitions to the other. And after two uh, laps, you've ran the entire course. They've gotten rid of that. And it just feels like a very, very stripped down version of dirt. To the point where, you know, it's just it lost its, a lot of its personality. It's. I think they saw the success that they had with Dirt Rally and decided that they didn't need some of the more personality uh, that the game had. They, they could survive off the original uh, or off the a more streamlined version of it. And it just doesn't do it for me. And to the point where it feels like that uh, Dirt Rally was almost a step backwards for the entire franchise because it shifted focus so much. Uh, so going into this, there, there's actually two different control methods uh, and they're trying to straddle the line between a uh, an arcade sim and a more full sim but to be perfectly honest neither version of it really feels right so going in uh, you have two options uh, uh, um, the uh, play for fun uh, arcade mode which feels a lot more arcadey than, than Dirt ever was and the sim mode which feels like a arcadey version of dirt rally <laughs> and honestly the uh, stem mode uh, may as well be okay so you want to lose because oh oh that's one other thing they removed they removed the rewind function okay why I can't tell you because I have the foggiest granted Turning it off in uh, the previous Dirt games and Grid games and pretty much any Codemaster game since, like, the original Dirt. Uh, well, uh, outside of... Uh, did they do the F1 games? I think they do... Uh, or, yeah, they do the F1. That's, like, the only Codemaster games that doesn't have a rerun function. Turning off is the extreme hard mode. Mostly because the AI are dicks and they continue to be so in this game to the point where they'll bump you off the road and then just continue going and because you don't have the rewind function to try to uh, counteract that now you're 
going to lose on the last lap of a five to ten minute race. And because the race the races are like this perfect length of sure enough where it's a bite size that you know it doesn't feel like that long, but long enough where whenever you're screwed up on the last lap, it feels just all the more galling. And if you're screwed up on the first couple of laps, you feel like you just have to, you know, it's best just to restart because you don't have enough time to even catch up. And the simulation mode just makes your car even more slippery, uh, especially on some of the uh, dirt tracks that, you know, it's just not even worth trying, uh, you know, trying to make up that uh, lost time. And I got to be perfectly honest, I never even saw the AI of screw up once, which is also a feature of dirt where, you know, every so often the AI will... Uh, overtake, uh, you know, uh, go too fast into a turn and uh, spin out or something. Never saw that once, actually, now that I really think about it. It's just, it, it feels like another company was trying to make a, a dirt game. You know, how you uh, have the carbon copy games that just never quite uh, hit uh, all the marks. Yeah. That's what this feels like, honestly. It's just very, very uh, shallow. Uh, the career mode is very short. They ha- uh, they borrowed the uh, the almost rogue light aspect from uh, Dirt Rally that has the endless courses. Uh, so the courses don't really have any personality. You end up getting the same ones over and over again, or chunks of the same ones over and over again. It has very few courses or course bombs or themes it only had uh well even the uh the closed circuit tracks uh for the off-road racing i did four or five events and i was already on uh the same track the third time i was uh getting repeated tracks over and over and over again only this time, hey, uh, it's this track. Only this time, it's raining, so it's even worse. Ugh. I probably will pick this up at some point, but it is definitely, 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 definitely not a $60 game. It's not a $15 game. This is a sub-$10 game. This is a $5 game. Especially, you know, since the, their DLC is mostly cheat DLC as well. And, well, let's just put it this way. I don't think there's much of an online uh, community around this game. I think they were sticking with Dirt 3 and for good reason. Oh, and the menu system sucks. <laughs> okay. About the only positive thing is uh, since they lost a lot of the personality of the game, they lost a lot of the uh, over-the-top personality as well. So maybe losing personality isn't so much of a bad thing. You know how it went, they were rather extreme on it in the previous Dirt, uh, dirt games? Yeah. Uh, it's not like that at, at all now. It's pretty much just, uh, hey, you're a driver in uh, 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 this uh, race series. Uh, okay, now uh, you can buy a car and uh, make your own team, and that's pretty much it. There's uh, not as over the top, It's but at the same time, it kind of tells you just where they went with this game. I would say if you have the setup, uh, Dirt Rally is definitely a, a lot better game. But it's more on the simulation side, so if you're playing with a control pad or a gamepad, it's a little bit tougher to handle because it can be a little bit fiddly. Uh, but I would say Dirt 2 or Dirt 3, which I don't think Dirt 2 is even on Steam anymore. 
And I'm not sure about Dart 3, actually. Dirt. Yeah, I'm just quick... looking real quick. I actually don't see the third Dirt game anymore. Yeah, I don't see it either. Yeah. So I know that they dirt pulled... Dirt Rally and Dirt 4? Yeah, I know that they pulled uh, the second game. I guess they pulled the third one as well. Uh, because of car licensing things, so... All right, well, I guess Piracy. Woohoo, Piracy. And it really signs it really signs me that uh this game isn't that great. I think I have Dirt Three. I mean it, it's that weird middle ground where it's not good but it's not terrible either. Because uh it, outside of going full simulation uh in on some of the harder difficulties where, you know, you have all your traction control turned off, you have uh uh, every th- all the assists turned off, the uh, uh, and especially in the simulation mode. Uh, it's just a very it feels very loose, and it doesn't f- feel like it's you're actually driving along the ground. That makes any sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. <sighs> it's just very very disheartening for me, because I actually really like uh, the Dirt series, and I guess I'm gonna have to find another. Uh, rally game or you know see what they do with the fifth uh, dark game because uh, the overall uh, feelings of this game is mixed <laughs> and I don't think the free weekend did them any favors doesn't sound like it looks not with you so what else did you play this week? okay so uh here's one that you were nearly putting on your wish list is like no wait I need to hear what you said about it because you're learning Mercury <laughs> Fallen. This is... Okay, uh, I'm going to try to do the elevator pitch every so often for these games because it's a lot easier to try to quantify it. Think RimWorld plus Dungeon Keeper. Okay. Where you, uh, it's the same general feel of RimWorld where you are managing a colony, but you have less direct control than even RimWorld has, where you could uh, tag things as high priority, and that's about it. It's pretty much just a sit-back-and-watch game, which isn't a bad thing. It's, you know, it it requires a little bit more thought. And it's an interesting start. It's still in the very, 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 very early stages of its early access run, to the point where it feels like there's not much there yet outside of the very base of the game. There's absolutely no combat, which I'm not sure if there's going to be. Uh, The exploration mechanics aren't in yet, so that really limits what you can do because you just have the actual base building mechanic and not the extended stuff. The research is very sluggish to do, and it's a very linear research tree. Even though it doesn't look it, I think these screenshots have. Does it have a. No, it doesn't have a shot of the research tree. It does have a research tree, but uh, it was the same problem I actually had with Judgment, is that it's interwoven. So, in order to. Uh, even to cook, actually, you have to research a different thing than you would expect, because. Uh, the big thing is, uh, you know, for these games is to establish your resource uh, uh, chain. To And your first thing you always want to do is have a source of food. 
you usually get a you know a starter you know, a few days worth of food and that's about it so you need to start getting your food well on this you're growing potatoes because of course i guess uh the martians uh, uh influence has gone uh, very broad and wide huh indeed well potatoes are the best so yeah until you run out of ketchup <laughs> well, then you just put Vicodin on it. <laughs> well, in order to cook the potatoes, you first have to research that because, you know, uh, of course you do, right? But then of course. I discovered, oh, I didn't research water, which hadn't been a priority until then because nobody really needed water. They just did things, which is an oddity whenever you think about it because, you know, water is usually a bigger problem than food. So I got to the end of uh, the cooking uh, research and thought, oh, I can't cook. Huh, and I'm nearly out of food. Turns out you pretty much have to have someone researching 24-7, at least in the current build, to be able to even try to survive because the research is so damn slow and there's no way to prioritize uh, directly. You can do a set of priorities, a very Rimworld, Dwarf Fortress, or Dwarf Therapist-esque, where you could set a uh, essentially a hierarchy for each colonist, where okay, if uh, set like uh, priority one uh, jobs, or in this case it's actually priority ten, and it goes down to one for lowest. Yeah, yeah priority ten, they'll oh, They'll look at their list going from left to right, find the first 10, do, uh, see if there's anything for that. Find the next 10, see if there's anything to do with that. And they go down the list. You can do that in this, but there's no direct interaction. Which is... Uh, yeah, it's fine for the uh, uh, Dungeon Keeper genre, but it's uh, because sometimes you have to get some focus on a particular item. You're more beholden to the AI, which is a little off-putting. And also, there's this weird system where everything is designated by its type of flooring. So, if you look on the screenshots, you can see different floors. And certain items can only built, be built on certain floors, as in types of uh, tiles, essentially. Not, you know, you know, like different levels of a building. I'm just talking about different types of tiles on a floor. And it, okay, and it's just very fiddly whenever you try to build something, and oh well, uh, you don't have the proper type of t of tiling there. It's a system that I think works better if you are having a different rooms designated, but because mining is so sluggish, at least in the beginning, uh, it uh, you're ending up ripping up a lot of uh, pre-existing infrastructure and swapping it out. For no good reason. Outside of just, oh, because we said so. Now, that said, if this develops enough, I think it uh, would be a pretty decent little uh, uh, colony builder strategy uh, survival game. It really depends on if they're going to do combat. I'm not sure if they are. There's a hint of a story here. But they haven't really fleshed it out. Uh, uh, every so often, you'll find these resource catches. Uh, essentially, you're going to a different planet, uh, and you 
crash and you need to survive. And there, one of the uh, escape pods is empty at the very beginning. And it's like, ooh, what's going on? And uh, every so often you'll find a resource cache and I'll have a, a player or a, 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 a person's login and you read the log entry and it's like, huh, that's interesting. But it's there's not enough there to really say what the story is going to be overall or if it's even going to be very interesting. So, yeah, it's, once again, an interesting base, but I'm not sure how it's going to play out on the long run. And maybe it's just because I haven't played enough of these uh, Dungeon Keeper-esque games. I do find it a little frustrating to be more beholden to the AI to go, okay, well, I'll go mine this now. Never mind the fact that, okay, I I need to get the kitchen set up, but there's this one tile, and I don't have a way to designate it as a high priority. So I'm just sitting here waiting for the AI to go, okay, fine. Unless I want to go undesignate a lot of mining uh, situation, which I actually had to at, some, at one point. <clears throat> Sounds It's interesting, but it needs, interesting. Some, it, but needs more quality of life stuff. I think I'm going to not put it on my wish list, but also not market is not interested. I'm going to go request a key on Keymailer, hope for the best. And if I see it for, I, I will say that uh, less it, than five bucks. I will um, say that it definitely needs a, a art pass because uh, the models are very, very, very rough. You can see on one of the screenshots a good close up of uh, uh, some of the of the player models, for lack of a better term, and they're very basic. And let's just put it this way: in the very beginning, everyone's in. Uh, I had essentially three clones and it was very tough to be able to tell them apart until I figured out that I was able to recolor uh, their clothing, which it doesn't tell you that. So I was just watching essentially the three uh, same people running around as in the uh, like triplets. <laughs> and also, I don't know how you get new play or new characters because uh, I never encountered that. I'm not sure if that's going to be a random event that I just didn't trigger if there's even going to be random events in this because the, I didn't see any infrastructure for it yet uh, it's uh, interesting though I do want to see how they go through early access and that's why I didn't do the video on it was that it felt too rough still and they also have the uh, RimWorld-esque uh, quirk system but all of them uh, were very bland so far just you know uh, this one uh, this person uh, gets tired a little bit quicker this person eats a little bit more, but nothing really interesting like how RimWorld handles it. And I realize comparing to RimWorld is not fair at this point, but also it's kind of the measuring stick right now where, you know, there's no really interesting quirks like, you know, this person uh, refuses to do this type of uh, stuff or uh, this person uh, likes to talk a lot more and get, uh, would get lonesome. Actually, uh, the only negative thing for someone being worked too hard is they work slower. There's no mental breaks. There's uh, no uh, yeah real negatives outside of, oh, well, they're working a little slower. But they do have robots in the game. So you can build uh, robots to supplement your colonists. Yay, robots. Robot uprising. Kill all humans. Except for uh, uh So, yeah. Moving along. Cool. Yep. How about a game that looked very, very, very interesting until I played it? Okay. Safe House. This is, well, 
on the surface, it looks almost Fallout Shelter-esque, only you're running a spy agency. It's not. It's tedious as fuck. So, okay. this game, uh, you are running a uh, safe house for uh, spies in a uh, made-up, at least I'm pretty sure made-up, uh, African nation that's trying to overthrow a regime, okay? You know, your standard, well, except for the African thing, because usually it's like Middle Eastern or Asian or something. Uh, but each room of the safe house is essentially its own puzzle. And it's all timed. Some of them are fairly simple. The first two that you start off with is your classic, you know, someone comes in and says something and it has a code word in it. And you respond with another code word in dialogue. And then they have to have a, a, you know, another code word to make sure that they're, you know, who they, uh, who, who they say they are. Yeah, pretty straightforward. And you're given a list of code words and the responses and everything. So, Okay. Easy enough. Then uh, you have a loading dock, which has every uh, uh, so often a crate comes in and you have to check the code on that against a, a white list of codes that you have. And if something uh, uh, is on the list, you you'd accept it. If not, you reject it. And every time you're wrong on any of these puzzles, uh, the game uh, punishes you by making the... Uh, faction that you're trying to fight stronger and as the game progresses each error becomes more and more punishing even if you've never screwed up before so on the first day you may get like 400 and if you uh, screw up the enemy gets 400 uh, towards a $1200 milestone for the first one well by day like five or six, it's up to a couple thousand. So you screw up once and you've never screwed up before. The enemy gets 2,000. They trigger the first milestone and suddenly you're getting less money. It's an interesting way to do it, but the way that they're ramping it up so quickly is infuriating. But anyway, back to the puzzles. Back to the puzzles. So, okay, first okay. two, pretty bog standard. Then they throw cryptograms at you. Now, mind you, all of this is timed as well. So it's uh, papers, please ask where you only have so much time. So they give you a scrambled or not really a scrambled, but a, uh, it's a simple substitution cipher. So you're given a ciphered word and a offset. So you have to look at the word and offset each letter by the number of uh, places on the alphabet. So let's say the word starts with a, the scrambled word. And it's a plus or minus three. Well, it may be C, or it may cycle back around to the end of the alphabet. Well, most likely it won't cycle back around, but there's a chance. And you have to do that for each word, and you also have to type it out. <laughs> so it becomes very tedious, and it's also has the added pressure of a time limit. Because if you take too long, you're not able to do many puzzles, which means that you're not getting the money. Which means that you're stretching out the story, which may cause problems with the overall milestones. Because you're also having to do certain things to keep up with the story. So you're seeing where the problem is coming, right? Maybe. Then uh, there's the fourth puzzle. 
All right. And this was the last one. And this one's, uh, the, okay. The crypto games were already annoying enough. Maybe it's just because I'm a dumb dumb and I have to sit down and think about it. All right. Okay. But then you get the infirmary. All right. The infirmary. Okay. Well, agents get injured. So you have to heal them. All right. Pretty standard, right? I guess. Yeah. So they come in and you have to give them uh, uh, the proper type of blood, which is, you know, you just, you know, give them the same blood type that they need. I assume that it may do the full donor system where, you, you know, there's the universal donor and universal receiver, you know, that sort of thing. But then you have to uh, give them the proper medication. So uh, if uh, they need an anti-poison, uh, you have to look at the list of uh, various uh, medications that offer that uh, thing and then you have to look at their allergies and then t- uh, compare the ingredients to each medication which is randomized per day in its location look at the ingredients see if they're allergic to it on top of figuring out if that medication would even do the fucking thing that you need to do and mind you're, you you're still on a fucking time limit and the time limit is very 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 short just a couple minutes per day so yeah, that sounds incredibly frustrating and not fun. And I wasn't even uh, a quarter of the way full uh, through filling up the uh, the safe house. It was like they took the idea of papers, please, took away all the ramp up and just threw you in the deep end with very irritating <laughs> results. And on top of that, uh, the camera sucks. Which you may think, okay, so why is the camera so important? Well, you have to click on each individual room. And the camera is sluggish, even on its uh, fastest speed. If you if you have it on its default speed, uh, it, it takes you a good half the day to be able to traverse the entire building. <laughs> it's just irritating. And they do have... Uh, well, I did unlock one room past the infirmary. It was the mission system, which is essentially your Facebook... Uh, mobile game where you send off someone and it takes so many so much time for the mission to complete off screen uh, and agents level up through that but uh, you know you know how that's going to play out right you know you have a percentage chance each time for the agent to get killed and then you're screwed and you have to uh, build up new agents right yeah uh, I had uh, I was actually somewhat excited to play this when I saw this because it looked very interesting. You know, a Fallout Shelter esque game with a uh, meets Evil Genius essentially. Uh, well, maybe not Evil Genius, but you know, uh, you know, a kind of cheesy spy game, right? Uh, but it feels like they missed all the marks. Personally, it's just infuriating. Maybe I'm the wrong type of person to enjoy this. I don't know. Yeah, I don't and think al- that I would like al- this and also, well, at this point. Well, also, it, it kind of tells you just how this game is put together, that the cutscenes, uh, whenever everything kind of slides together, uh, it does the uh, sort of uh, old-school James Bond silhouette thing. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, against a, a flat background? Yeah, yeah. Whenever all the pieces slide together, you can see the visible seams of the individual shapes. Uh where they didn't quite get together quite right in the uh, uh, in the render. And also, everything has very, very bad jaggies with uh, no a- anti-aliasing. That sounds 
Well, it's a neat it, idea yeah, if neat, they had done it right. Yeah, the game is a neat idea, but it's just infuriating. If they had it, the the if they had it with the game paused, so you weren't punished to actually sit down and think about your actions. Granted, I don't think you have a fail state on just uh, yeah the time running out, but because the time is running in the background and the puzzles don't queue up. If you spend too long on like figuring out a cryptogram, uh, then you may not get. Uh, yeah, people come in to do the easy thing of you know, just swapping back and forth the passwords, which costs you a lot of money. So you don't get to build rooms or uh, train up agents or even hire agents because uh, I was able to build the uh, the black ops uh, center or whatever they called it. Well, I wasn't able to hire anyone because I had missed a couple of the. Uh, uh, missions because I spent too long on a cryptogram because I'm a dummy on those. Uh, so it's just uh, good job. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was funny. What? I'm a dummy on those. Well, I, I sat there and it's like, okay, uh, what's four uh, letters after Q? I have to sit there and think about it for a moment. Well, I couldn't just tell you. Oh, good. So you're a dummy as that. well. It's you. Right, Q R S T. Yeah, four. You. Hey, I did it. Yeah, but uh, hey, that may not be the proper letter. So now you have to be four before. No, I'm fucked. I can't yeah, yeah, backwards. yeah. I'd have to go through the whole alphabet. Yeah, yeah that's why it's a lot tougher. Is that some uh, sometimes it's not the uh, the usual way through. So you have to sit and think even longer, and you know, it, uh, if they had it where it's just yeah. Uh, Instead of typing out the words, which on top of everything else, every time you have to type, okay, you have to move the mouse, click, and then you have to click again on the text field. It doesn't automatically select it either, even though you obviously have to go to it. Uh, if they had it where you could just uh, scroll through the letters, that would have been a lot easier. Or even uh, whenever they had the list of words, be able to click on the words instead of having to type them out. Uh, especially since it's the early game stuff. I can only imagine what they're doing late game. It, it, this, yeah. this feels like a a game that is built for yeah, a particular type of person in mind or f- uh, for the developer in mind. You know how those uh, passion projects are built around a person's vision and what they want out of the game. This feels like that. You know, this is the game that they want. And it's not quite what anybody else would want to play. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, Yeah, I'm not interested in this game any longer. <laughs> oh, I'm doing really well at, at scaring you off of games today. Well, obviously I can't do that for this next one. Indeed, because I played it too. Gunsmith. This yep. was the Sunday sampler as well. This is a very, very good base but it is lacking a lot of quality of life issues or quality of life features i should say primarily time scaling indeed so what this is at its core is a factory management game essentially it's big pharma what meets uh, illegal gun trade yeah so you have to build um assembly lines clothing armor, body armor, 
uh, weapons, ammo, for or to fulfill orders that various agencies, governments, or otherwise ask you to fulfill. And you start with like the most basic, as you do in these games, you start with the most basic item, which is like a pair of gloves. And eventually you can research your way up and and work your way up to really complex assembly lines to, to produce arms to sell. Yeah, but um, to get there, oh, it's such a drag. Uh, this game, it has a lot of interesting things. This actually is a lot closer to Wild Wanted, which is a, a, out of Big Pharma, which is more of a factory management instead of feeling like, okay, well, I'm just uh, raising and lowering arbitrary things. Because this has various machines, and you can see the difference. You, you uh, run fabric through a, a fabric cutter, and you uh, get uh, fabric gloves. And then the uh, gloves uh, get fitted and put uh, uh, put together, and uh, they become camo gloves. And they get more sewing, and then they get uh, shipped off to a boxing machine. Uh, what I think the game does really well is outlining the basic idea of each assembly line through its cookbook. Yeah, I like it. I don't know why, but I like the idea that it's called a cookbook. Like it made me think of Breaking Bad. Uh, well, e- each uh, item has its assembly line laid out. So some uh, items require essentially a forked assembly line where one is making like, uh, uh, I th- well, the early game, it's all fasteners. Uh, so making plastic fasteners out of blocks of plastic, heating it up, running it through a former to make a plastic fastener for things. And then it ties into the rest of the assembly line. And it gives you a really good idea of what to expect and what you need to do. And I think it does that uh, exceptionally well of explaining on the basic level what you need to do, but leaving you to fill in the blanks. Yeah, and I didn't have any problems with this. It's got a a pretty basic tutorial. Um, yeah, I would say that the tutorial but, makes it feel a lot more complex than what it actually is. It's yeah, I, uh, it it drags it out across a lot more screens, and it, I think it could uh, hold off on some other aspects than uh, uh, and not explain those right away instead of uh, just letting you set up the basic fragmented glove to, uh, assembly line first, and then have you worry about okay, now let's talk about your materials and how you. Uh, uh, acquire them to run this assembly line that you've already done instead of yeah. going page by page and then doing that. Uh, so you're about to say? I don't know. What was I about to say? <laughs> um, oh, I was, I was saying, you know, I didn't have any trouble learning the systems cause they've done a good job. This is a game that feels like it's had some real time and effort put into it. And they've done at least a bit of proper QA testing or something mm-hmm. because, you know, like like you said, it's an excellent base system, um, an excellent uh, groundwork for all of the quality of life improvements that need to be made to make this a really serious uh, game, you know, a really serious contender for my time. Because it takes the the biggest problem, honestly, the only real issue that I've had so far has been how tedious it is because you can't speed up time. Yeah, there's uh, well, um, uh, in reverse, there's no pause either, so uh, the time is always marching forward at the same rate. So while you're building your next assembly line, you also have to manage the ones that are 
currently out there. So that's a bit tough to do whenever the game, uh, this is something else that I uh, uh, didn't like is that it doesn't have a counter on just how much resources you have overall. It'll alert you whenever you're low resources, when you're, you're sub hundred, but once you get a couple assembly lines up and running, a hundred of uh, pieces of fabric isn't a lot because uh, uh, trousers, pants take two each. Uh, the backpacks, the camo vest take three each. Gloves only take one, but you can see where we're going with this. It, it takes off very quickly and it does a pseudo market thing as well, where as you buy things, the price rises. So you have to uh, try to balance that if you want to maximize costs or maximize your profits while minimizing costs. Uh, yeah, and it just doesn't do it all that well yet. Yeah. There's also random events that happen that I've seen a few of. I didn't. Uh, I only had one random event, and that was meeting a new contact, and that was it. I'm not sure if I was bugged, if uh, it just it didn't happen to me or what, but uh, I do think that they need more random events. They need something to shake things up because it pretty much turned into an idle game for me. I had three random events. I had one new contact that came that seemed like a shady dude. It was like something like uh, this guy comes in and he's got bodyguards and they clearly will will kill you if you step out of line. And he was like, I need you to, to do this contract for me on the on the down low. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to start working with an illegal, what sounds like an illegal operation. And he was like, you'll be sorry. And then he left. And then I had, um, so like the the bare amount of story setup that there is like, you know, just for thematics is that your father has died and left you this factory in his will. And you get what's left after the debt collectors have come and taken most of the assets of the factory. Yeah. Which funny but I enough, had a, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, just enough to break the glove assembly line. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so anyways, this person showed up, and it was like an old friend of your father's. And he shows up, and he's like, I'll do some business with you. I always did business with your dad, and he always treated me well. And then, like, he gave me some free money, and he's like, consider this an investment in your operation. I want you to do better than your father did. And so I got, like, $15,000 and a contract from him, and then he left. And then I got another random event that was, I think because I was doing like a lot of contracts for the same person and he showed up and he was like, Hey, you've been good to me and completed all my contracts on time. And I just wanted to come by and, and thank you for that. And I'll be doing more business with you in the future. And then I got like another contract for that one guy. Kyle. Yeah. Thanks Kyle for the, the contract to build you some more camo gloves. I it from what I've played so far, it doesn't feel like it really forces you to expand and build your factory. Yeah, like, it, like there I were said, still uh, plenty of contracts that just had camo gloves. Well, uh, so well, after I, a few hours, uh, it was starting to get to the point where I required at least two or sometimes three of the different uh, clothing components. So I was getting uh, orders for uh, backpacks, uh, vest, and boots, for example. 
or okay. I was getting just orders for like uh, vests and trousers, that sort of thing. And I was yeah, getting I've... fewer and fewer of just a single item. So I'm not sure if it's going to uh, progress uh, once I unlocked uh, actual gun mechanics because I would occasionally get the contract where, okay, I want, I want this clothing and bullets. There's a huge, huge, huge run-up to actually making firearms at all. Let alone, well, bullets, let alone firearms. You have to go through about, I would say, two weeks worth of research uh, in-game where you have to research individual components of the manufacturer and then obtain a license, which is another couple of days. And there's no way to speed this up. Yeah. I I, I, I kind of like the way that research works yeah, in this game. Yeah, you, so you have uh, to yeah, you dedicate a, a portion. Yeah, you allocate a, a portion of your profits or your overall. Uh, it's your operating yeah, budget. Yeah, a operating. portion of your operating budget. Yeah. I wasn't sure what it was exactly. I knew it was a portion of something. Uh, yeah, to and then that generates. Re, uh, research points, which you could then uh, invest into a uh, a research project that usually takes a day, maybe two to run. Yeah. But I just like the way that that system works. It feels a bit more realistic. Like, you know, most of the, most companies, probably all companies, don't just like, I'm going to research this specific thing. They just spend money on R&D to see what they can come up with. And then they get an idea. So they spend some time focusing on that idea to make it come to fruition. And so I, I like that system. Yeah. I will say that the game runs a little rougher than I would expect. It's a, uh... It's not that bad, but, yo, uh, I think it's where everything is a physics object on the conveyor belts. I did not have any problems uh, it, with it. It wasn't until I started recording. I started hitting a little bit of a frame rate hitch. Okay. Yeah, mine never dropped from... I think it's frame locked. At a, it, okay, my, it didn't get over 120, but it also didn't drop below 120. And I didn't have well, any also, sync or anything Also recorded, on. so. Uh, but yeah. uh, without recording, I uh, was running in the hundreds, in the hundred okay. range. Uh, but there's also a noticeable hiccup whenever you turn on and off a lot of machines, which is an interesting uh, uh, way that they handle it, where you're able to group a, a full assembly line to essentially one on-off switch, which I liked. Yeah. It allows you yeah, that- to uh, quickly turn on and off things if you need to conserve uh, money if you need to shut down a, uh, something that you have a lot of like uh, I went absolutely nuts about gloves because first of all it's the first thing that you have uh, second of all in the very beginning there's uh, orders for all sorts of gloves everybody wants the glove so I actually expanded my thing where I was uh, I got the splitter fairly quickly to uh, split the uh, fasteners into two uh glove uh, assembly lines so i had gloves coming out of the wazoo yeah uh so i turned yeah. on and off that assembly line every so often but there was a noticeable hitch whenever that happened also this is a minor minor nitpick but i wish that the conveyor belts was a different color because everything is camo and you have green conveyor belts yeah i wish that you could place down a length of conveyor belt instead of it being one at a time yeah or uh, eventually get longer conveyor belts. Or, yeah, or longer conveyor belts. Well, that's what I'm going for. Like, you place down, say, three conveyor belts, and they merge into one long conveyor belt. 
Uh, but I have a feeling this could scratch the itch for more than a handful of players out there in our listener base, because I know we have a few Factorio fans. And this feels like a, a, a pretty much what I wanted was a small scale Factorio that made sense. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely along those lines. It it needs it definitely needs a time speed up function. Yeah, well, it, it and it does have a lot of room for expansion, both in the game development and uh, the physical sense of the in the uh, factory because there's a lot of room in there. Yeah, uh, they they have uh, uh, enough room that I would say that it, it's easy that they would uh, have uh, probably 20 30 assembly lines yeah well there's a lot of room to start before you even look at expanding the base or the the base the factory yeah and i wasn't exactly being uh constrictive on my assembly lines i was letting them stretch out a bit uh which turns it almost into a bit of a puzzle game as well you know trying to uh, fit things together in a uh in a compact uh, uh, floor space. <laughs> Spaghetti factory. <laughs> uh, I was quite proud with how I was able to set up the, uh, well, the front end of the glove uh, assembly line because I was still using the original uh, uh, assortment for the uh, back end of it uh, where the splitter was running perfectly into two of the mergers to be able to uh, uh, essentially fit the plastic uh, fittings onto the gloves. And it was just, it was absolutely perfect. Uh, and the, the game does a good way of time, of uh, individual timing on the various machines as well, where most of the machines are either, at least in the early game, during the apparel phase, where it's either a one second or two second uh, uh, generation time or a uh, manufacturer time. So you're able to get the timing down fairly easily on things, uh, especially based on everything in the cookbook. They, they do yeah. a lot of things really right in this, actually. I, I, I just want to see it expanded and have the quality of life stuff put in. Agreed. Yeah, I just... Uh, I was my, quite... My big thing is time scale and an easier way to keep track of your resources and the market. Especially since I think they're going to do more with the market as the game progresses. Assuming, of course, this continues on. Because, you know, this is an extremely early access game. And this is also an unproven developer. Yeah, I'd like to just be able to sell items directly on the open market. Yeah, because then you could f- just focus more on n- not necessarily the contracts. You could that would make the early game stuff. It sounds more viable in the late game. Yeah, you know. Yeah, especially you since make quite as much money. Yeah, but, especially since uh, you know if you have a bunch of gloves, we'll just sell them uh, for less profit on the open market. You know, sell them to Walmart. Yeah, there you go. Uh, one other thing that a bit irked me was uh, just how they handled the contracts in general, where if you let, uh, offer time out, you'll get penalized for it. I hadn't noticed that. Uh, if, but, uh, if, that's... if you let it offer time out, you take a reputation. Uh, the same as if you turn it down. Okay. So turning down or letting one time out is a reputation hit. And considering some of the offers were, uh, you know, they were wanting uh, some pretty advanced ammo along with the apparel, which I hadn't even start, started to research at the time. It was a bit off-putting. Yeah. And also, I would like to see some sort of staff mechanic, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, especially handling stocks, you know? Yeah. Well, there's uh, the guy sitting over there at the table with no computer. (laughs) But yet he's typing on something. Uh, His computer's in the mail. (laughs) Where do you get one of those, uh, those internets? You get it at the airport? Is that, is that where you get the internets? Oh, they have internet and computers now. Uh, yeah. So I, I liked it. I'll come back and check it later. For speci- mostly specifically for the uh, ability to speed up time. Yeah, as it is right now, it's essentially an auto game plus fact uh, Factorio, or small spaghetti In- Factorio, I should say. Which, you know, if you want something to sit on another screen and just kind of run in the background, well, there you go. Indeed. And speaking of things sitting on another screen running in the background, I played Adventure Communist this week. I actually played a couple of of clicker idle type games um, just to have something Uh, on the second screen Uh, running in the background. uh, Are you able to play these? What do you mean am I able to play these? Uh, can you actually say that you play these or you just watch these? Eh, you play them a little bit, I think. Uh, so Adventure Communist is the sequel, question mark, to Adventure Capitalist. It's made by the same people. I don't know if they connect or if they just tried to, you know, went for the theming of it. But um, it's it's a clicker game where that you are a uh, comrade. Duh, comrade. And Duh. you are building up the Soviet empire of things. And you start out growing potatoes, <laughs> and then you get potato robots, <laughs> and then like you somehow create land, and then you mine things, and then you build weapons, and then the last thing that you do is, is uh, make medicine. Of course. And... Adventure Capitalist had this sort of it it did one of those things that these clicker games sometimes do where that you hit a point and then the game sort of evolves into something else. And Adventure Capitalist does that several times in fun and interesting ways. Adventure Communist so far hasn't done that. Um you know, aside from the theming and the really sh- shitty um theme song that it plays that's supposed to be, I guess, some sort of Russian folk song. Um, oh, but the there's no way to there's no way to actually turn it off. Um, there there's no options menu. Uh, the the image has got <coughs> the the sort of gear options menu on it, but these are old images because that actually isn't there in the main game. So you can't turn the music off. You can't turn, like, it's got one of those little Unity launchers that's like, what do you want your graphics settings to look like? Oh, uh, Unity you launcher, know. my old friend. And and that's it. So the only way to actually mute the terrible song is to mute my PC, which is annoying because I also listen to a lot of music at work. It's like, well, music or, well, I guess it qualifies as music. It's just a really shitty folk song. Uh, Does it not have an entry in the Windows volume mixer? Um, it does, but it doesn't like to be tabbed out. At least with that attitude. But, uh, so far, it hasn't done anything fun or interesting. I, It's been running for the better part of a week. I've checked on it once every day, maybe twice. 
just like hoping that something fun or interesting happens. And I'll probably keep checking on it a little bit, but so far I haven't found anything. Um, like the premium, I do like that the premium currency is comrades, <laughs> research points and comrades. Those are your two thing, like primary currencies. I think that's funny. Um, it, it used to be wealth. I've did, I saw, but wealth like didn't make sense with the theme. So now you have comrades. Should be precedent. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Like if that's what it morphs into. Oh, that would be cool. And I've avoided, like, I know I could just look this up, but part of the fun of these games is, like, whenever the the twist happens, it's like, oh, that's neat. So I don't want to cheat and look that up and then ruin that potential twist. But if in, like, another week, if, I, if nothing new has happened, I'll probably go and look it up and just see if there is actually a twist. But, you know, it's it's a, for what it's supposed to be, just a background thing you check on every once in a while between tasks at work or whatever. Perfect for that. Thumbs up. But, you know, I mean, it's not like a game game. You know what you're getting into with this. And if you don't like idle type games, then there's nothing redeeming about this, at least so far. So uh, I can quickly move on to the next game on my list, which is a puzzle game. Yeah, actually, it's I got a... review code for this as well, but I got it too late to be able to do anything with it. Yeah, so this game is called Inline. It's a very simple but challenging puzzle game that I think takes the idea of Tetris, like um, placing, you know, the various shapes in order to clear the board. But it, what it changes up is that um, your board is a square that has got a space in the middle where you can't place anything, and that's where your next shape block shows up that you can drag and drop anywhere on the grid and it it plays like tetris you create a line from either top to bottom or left to right and it will clear itself and then you can place more pieces there in order to try and do it again and it starts out really simply and after a few minutes and you've uh, increased the difficulty level by successfully placing pieces down and clearing lines and things like that the game gets gradually harder and harder until you lose. And it starts out, you don't have to pre-plan. You can just put stuff as it comes and fill out your lines. But by sort of difficulty level four or five, you have to start looking at the... You can see the next three pieces, and you really have to start planning ahead. Um, you can also skip a piece or discard a piece. You have like a little bar that fills up as you successfully place pieces down, and you can have up to five skips at a time so if you wind up in a jam you do have a few chances to try and recover but you know this is an endless puzzle game eventually you're gonna fail no matter what just because the game will eventually become so difficult that you can't succeed at it but it's got a really nice relaxing soft soundtrack that isn't too overwhelming or powerful so you can also listen to podcasts or um your own music or whatever while well, you play it. that is their kind of niche because I'm looking at their history and they are actually the devs behind the Learn to Fly series. Okay. But uh, it's an excellent puzzle game and it's really, really simple. No like major graphics or anything required. The whole install file is less than 100 megs. Um, so 
It, it's this game is gonna it, currently. I don't, I don't know how much it's gonna sell for. It's currently not available for purchase. Um, I if this game is like more more than five bucks, I'll be really surprised. This is like a good two ninety nine, three ninety nine game. Um, I think that's perfectly going to be priced for what it is. I mean, we'll see what it actually is. Yeah, this is a former Congregate uh, developer. Uh, Inline is going to be launching at four ninety nine with a fifteen percent release sale. Four ninety nine is like perfectly priced for what this game is. I I've played it for uh forty five minutes to an hour, just in little bursts. Um, the first time I played it was for like fifteen minutes before I went to bed one night. And I played it for five, a couple of five-minute chunks today at the office when I had a client that didn't show up. Or uh, I played it for a little bit when I ate lunch. It, it's just it's just really good at what it sets out to do. It's an excellent puzzle game. So definitely I recommend this. Especially at, I mean, that's the perfect price point for this game. Five, $4.99, 15% discount at launch. So I'd put it at like three-something. Yeah. Around you know around three fifty, thereabouts. Yeah, or regional, maybe a little less. Of course. Yeah, yeah, but I mean it's a perfectly priced game for what it is. So that's in line, and then on to my last game for the week. This one was an interesting little thing. Like I saw this is another clicker game on mobile, um, and it was it's called Idle Skies, and it's a an aviation themed clicker game. Um, and I, you know, just downloaded it as like, okay, we'll check this out and see what it is. And I was pleasantly surprised at what this is. So it's got a really nice, gentle soundtrack that's very soothing. Um, and as you unlock the various things, the, you know, the various aircraft and other aviation related things, which are what contribute to your overall points to unlock the next thing, you get like little snippets of history about something. So, in the first phase, you have, like, um, pre-flight era things, like paper airplane, uh, the paper lanterns, um, and things like that. And whenever you unlock something for the first time, you just get a little thing that pops up, and it's two, three sentences, just a very brief history about the thing and how it was used. Um, And it's just really nice, like... I learned a couple of little things and, you know, there were a couple of interesting facts about stuff. And I was like, oh, well, I'll go look up more about that. And, you know, I just closed that app. I, I had spent all of my points anyways, so I couldn't buy anything else. I closed the app, went over to Wikipedia and looked up a couple of things. The game has, you can't purchase anything in it. There's, you know, there's no store. There's no premium currency. There's no nothing. Uh, you can watch ads to get boosts. So like you watch a 30 second ad and then you get a two hour boost. You mean you put down the phone for 30 seconds. Yeah. You put down the phone for 30 seconds, get a drink, go to the bathroom, whatever. And then when you pick it back up again, you've got a, a boost. Uh, and it, it's got like a little spinner wheel because it, I guess has to have something and you can get a two times boost, a three times boost or a four times boost. Or you can watch an ad for a straight up 30 times boost, but that only lasts for 60 seconds. But otherwise, that's it. And honestly, there's really no reason to. <laughs> you can get through the first the first set pretty easily. 
and there's no like penalty or anything to restarting and every time you restart you get uh, a bonus which is pretty common for this type of game so that you earn resources faster and relatively quickly you can get to the point where that you can have enough of a bonus to do a reset and then within like two minutes you're back up to exactly where you were before just earning faster towards the next one and i've reset like four or five times at this point i don't know how many errors they are it starts with like pre-powered flight and then there's the what it calls the golden age of flight which is like the uh, around like the right flyer then there's the space race which covers some rocket that's kind of like the space shuttle and some rocketry yeah um, but there's something beyond Space Race, so I don't know how far you can go. Like, I see on the image on the Google Play Store, it's, it says Galaxy. Um, so that... So they go sci-fi? I assume that that would be sci-fi, but so far, everything has been historical. Like, it's got one, the the first Falcon, uh, like the SpaceX Falcon rocket, whatever the first one was. The Falcon 1? Okay, yeah, the Falcon 1. There you go. It's got... <laughs> Something about the Falcon 1, it's got to think about the space shuttle, it talks about a few different satellites, um, some different, like, aircraft types and things like that, so it's just a cute little thing, like, I wasn't expecting it, I was honestly expecting, like, a bullshit uh, clicker-style game with just a a really cute art style, because the art style is very cute, that was the thing that drew my eye in the first place, but I discovered that it was a really well-put-together sort of mini educational type tool. And I mean, they're going to be earning. Yeah. They're going to be earning something off of the ad revenue, but I like the fact that there's no store. There's no premium currency. It's not trying to, I mean, yeah, yet, but it, you know, at least right now it's not trying to steal all of the money out of my wallet. It's just like, Hey, have some aircraft and some cuteness and some history and some history. Yeah. So, uh, there you go. Yeah, I think those that... are all the games that I played this week. Yeah, and some of them you actually did play. I did. I did. Um, I need to take a quick break. Yeah, sounds good to me. So we'll meet back up here in a few minutes. But now the break's over. Indeed. So, moving on to the game club for the month of May. In case you don't know this is your first time tuning in, Rage and I have very different overall tastes in video games, and even the video games that we play at the same time, or have played together, we uh, feel differently about them. So Game Club is a way for us to come together and make sure that we play the same game, and can get uh, a fully developed take on said game from both of our perspectives. And this one is super special, because normally Game Club is... the games that we play are older. Yeah, usually a year or uh, two old. But I yeah. realize it's kind of funny. We have differing tastes literally, what, 15, 20 minutes after talking about the same game together? That's true. That happened. But both of us get games to review and things like that. So we just happen to have the same game that we played. But anyways, so yeah, this one's extra special because at time of recording, Battletech released roughly one month ago. So we both purchased this game brand new. And have played it uh, start to finish. Yeah, I just and, did the uh, campaign. We're talk about and, it. Uh, you did a little bit of multiplayer and the skirmish mode as well. Yeah, and I did a lot of campaign. 
I played this game a ton. This game came at the perfect time for me to be able to like binge something that I really enjoy. Battletech is something that I love the universe in. I love the entirety of building big stompy mechs and customizing the shit out of them. I love turn-based strategy games, which is what this particular Battletech game is. There's a number of games in the series, which I might talk about just a tiny bit. But So not only is this a game that, that I love, with mechanics that I love, set in a universe that I love, but I also was transitioning uh, to a new job. So I had like two and a half, three weeks where I, I had nothing to do. Like my kid was in daycare. Um, my wife specifically said, Hey, before you, you know, go back to work. Cause I've been doing up until that point, uh, I was doing my own clinic after I lost my job in last October. She was like, Hey, before you go back to work, you know, just make sure you get, take some time for yourself. Cause everything's going to change again. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I played Battletech. Like it was the perfect storm for me to just binge something that I really enjoy. Yeah, I thought I played a lot of this game, and then you have double my hours. Yeah, I played BattleTech uh, over two hundred hours. I'm going. I'm going to yeah, look specifically. I, yeah, I ended how much. up uh, ending right over a hundred, and that's not by design because oh, there's some things this game does that I do not like. Yeah, I played 204 hours as of recording. Um, most of that time was in the first two weeks after the game released. Uh, at least three quarter, uh, two thirds of it probably in the first two two and a half weeks, and then it slowed down after that because I yeah there was a couple started uh, going back. There was to a work. couple weeks there where you had done nothing else. Specifically, yeah, specifically that first week, I think I played BattleTech fifth or 60 hours the first week alone and then I did that again the second week and then meanwhile I was managing everything else uh, on the YouTube channel so yeah but uh, anyways enough about me binging something so much but yeah so let's yeah just brief so I, I actually put together some categories for this because this game covers a lot of different things yeah, overall uh, and I figured history be... with the franchise, uh, your first topic. Yeah. I don't have a lot. I just have a couple of the old MechWarrior games, and that's really been my only exposure. I've known about Battletech as a board game, but it, w- it was always too complex to be able to even consider uh, 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 as an offering for Stream Night whenever we were still doing that for Tabletop Sim, because I could only imagine how long that would take. Yeah, Depending on what type of game you're playing can take anywhere from hours to weeks. Because you can play it as just like you set up a battle scenario and that takes usually a couple of hours or so. Or you could do it more like a a role play where you have a pilot or a group of pilots with skills and things that you manage. You have your mercenary company with mechs and vehicles and space stuff like you can play a campaign for weeks just like an you know a D&D campaign or a Star Wars RPG or whatever just in the BattleTech universe um my history of BattleTech is pretty expensive or well expensive and expansive uh I had um, a flame slip there 
Indeed. I've, I don't know how much money I've spent on those books over the years. But I've read a good chunk of the Battletech books. There's several dozen. I've read most of the Dark Ages series and most of the Clan War series. But the the books span something like three, two to three decades worth of stories and writers and things. So, you know, I, I've... I've read a good chunk of them, but I've, in total, I've probably not even hit 50% of all the books that have been written. Plus, there's all the source material that's in the rule books for the games. I've played what's known as Battletech Classic, the, uh, the tabletop game, because there's like three different rule sets, uh, because the property changed hands a couple of times, and when it did, they were like, we're gonna reinvent the wheel. But Battletech Classic is the original rule set. And that's the version of the tabletop that I've played. Um, and then I've played the majority of the video games. Um, I've played the two Mech Assault games, which are very sort of adjacent. Um, the When Xbox, whatever Xbox Studio it was that made those games, they had didn't follow very much of the Battletech anything. Um, so most people consider those like super apocryphal. Um, I've played most of the Mech Warrior games, going back to Mech Warrior 2 and its expansions. I've not played the ones that were on Super Nintendo or there was one that was on oh, Windows 3.1 or it might have even been an MS-DOS game. I haven't played that one. But anything from Mech Warrior 2 up, I've played all of those, all the sequels and expansions. And then I've played both Mech Commander games which are real-time strategy games set in the Battletech universe. So I've got a pretty extensive history with the the lore of this game. Um, and I, even so, I still feel like I've only scratched the surface. The best way to describe Battletech to someone who's never really played it is to hope that they've seen Game of Thrones and then say, it's kind of like Game of Thrones, but with giant mechs. Because most of the story, at least the early story, centers around the, all of the major houses uh, which control huge chunks of the galaxy constantly at war with each other and constantly going through political craziness and backstabbings and assassinations and poisonings and mar- uh, marriages for gaining of stature. Um, the galaxy sort of went to this future feudalism society after there was some stuff that like everything broke down. So that's like a super vague, super in a nutshell overview of BattleTech, the the BattleTech universe. It's fascinating. Yeah, so Game they, of Thrones plus some... uh usually 50 to 100 ton uh, big stompy robots. Yeah. What's not to love? Um so yeah, that's my history of the franchise and just kind of a very general overview. Before we get yeah, mine was farther, very truncated. I played MechWarrior a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Before we go any farther, did you have any questions or things that you thought were weird that uh, maybe I could answer or help frame? I I think the game does well enough explain the general uh, terms and everything else. I wish that there was uh, just an encyclopedia in game with all the tool tips that it offers uh, in uh, its dialogue. But yeah, would I really liked that? But I do wish they had an in-game encyclopedia. Yeah. 
uh, that unlocked as you saw new terms. But uh, yeah, I, I think I got the gist of everything. It's just more. This uh, is actually a very small story overall. It's just about one very small kingdom, essentially, for lack of a better yeah. term. Yeah. So the, so it's uh, a nicely uh, compacted story. That said, uh, since we're let's just jump ahead to story discussion, skip mechanics for the time being, since we have a good sure. entry into this. I, I felt that's fine. I felt the story was a little too simple that it was played out kind of in the background behind the scenes and never was really in the forefront with the exception of a couple missions that you were just there and that was it yeah Uh, which uh, isn't a bad thing if they didn't keep talking about how you were the linchpin that you uh, uh, saved everything yeah in some ways, they did the story really well, lining it up with how things sort of have worked in the Battletech universe. And in some ways, they did a poor job of it. I think it's a um, bad uh, way of doing story gameplay segregation. That That's where it really broke down for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. If you had spent uh, a huge, or maybe not huge, but a, a much more connected chunks of the game dealing with the story missions, it would be much better off because what happens, uh, dear listener is you will do a story mission, sometimes two story missions, um, close together. And then the game will say, okay, the go, yeah, we need to go just rally do a bunch forces. of random side missions while we go do something else. And then we'll let you know when we're ready for the next story mission. And in some ways that's nice because the game doesn't pressure you really to, to, do the story aside from at the very beginning which if you're not playing with mods it's next to impossible to really wait out those first couple of story missions but once you pass a point in the game where you get your your big drop ship called the the argo um oh we should have said spoilers by the way for the game yeah fair yeah we spoil everything um but once you get the argo the game opens up and it becomes much easier to actually sustain yourself on those in-between bits so but yeah the game is just like all right go do whatever for sometimes many hours of gameplay sometimes it's just like one or two missions which works out to be anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour depending on uh how quickly your your computer can load the missions which it goes to the technical side but we'll get to there too and then how long it actually takes you to complete them. But most of the missions are relatively short once you get the handle on it. Um, I was averaging up until the end where I basically just learned how to exploit the AI. I was averaging like 20 to 30 minutes a mission. Yeah, some of the missions do drag on though, particularly towards the end. Yeah. And that's uh, when- and that's not even pure length in the mission. It's more that the game likes to waste your time. It feels like uh, usually more in outside of missions, though. But you know, in the missions as well, that uh, you're always waiting for enemy movements, even if they're not on screen. Yeah the the biggest complaint that I've seen people levy against the game has been how slow it is, um, and it's not you know the good chunky kind of slow where you have a certain weight to the uh, movement and everything. It's more that. Uh, even if an enemy is off screen, you have to wait for its entire movement animation to play out. 
which it yeah you know shouldn't have to you know that should just be off screen that should be behind the scenes and that yeah really spoils you know some things you know that huh they're well the way the game handles things is that each turn has five initiative phases uh, from five to one and the lighter uh, usually the lighter class mechs move first so uh, light mechs would uh, move in turn five or four uh, uh well the lighter class i should say not light class but and as you go through the uh phases you get usually heavier and heavier stuff with vehicles uh for the ai usually turning up in turn in phase one through three so yeah vehicles go in one initiative phase lower than their weight class yeah so if you end up uh yeah there's a pause a, a noticeable pause and the enemy is having an enemy turn and you don't see any movement on a low phase it ruins the uh, surprise that oh there's something out there which is irritating uh, particularly because the ai it does decent enough overall but then it does stupid shit where it just doesn't value its own survival yeah like it'll do a death from above which is yeah fire up its jump jets jump on something and doing that move is heavy damage but it also damages your mech as well uh, to the legs and if a mech loses both of its legs it's incapacitated and it'll do that whenever it's already heavily damaged which you know sometimes it's a de- desperation move but I've had mechs uh, do that to me and you know, blow out a perfectly good leg and open up their back to me for back shots, which the back armor on a mech is a lot weaker than the front, than the front armor. And you know, yeah, it makes no tactical sense whatsoever. Yeah, the way that mechs are set up, um, each limb has got what's called an internal structure rating, which is basically like the health of that body part. And then... Uh, there's armor that can be placed on top and you can place up to double the structure length on each limb or body part except for the back and you can only match the back's uh, rating. So, you know, if uh, a piece of... If a body part... Like, okay, the right torso of a mech, say it's got a structural rating of 90. On the front, you could place 180 armor, but on the back, you could only place 90 armor. And that's if you maxed out your armor. Nine times out of ten, you are not going to max out your armor because, well, armor is heavy. And you want to put more guns or heat sinks so that your mech doesn't melt or other things on there. So, uh, you, whenever the AI does stupid shit and opens itself up, you know, it 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 feels very artificial. Yeah. That's, when when I'm talking about exploiting the AI, learning how to get the AI to chase down certain mechs so that you can uh, basically pull aggro on them when you shouldn't really be able to do that. Like, yeah, see, I was trying to avoid you wanna... even learning how to do that and just uh, approaching it as, you know, human-esque player. Yeah. I did that for a long time, but now I'm trying to... Eventually, I'd like to 100% the game, get all the achievements. I don't know if I'd ever get all the multiplayer ones. Some of those are going to be difficult and as as this type of game goes on and the player base gets smaller and smaller over time, yeah, the, hardcore the people players. who are left are going to be the hardcore players. And there's going to be no way I can compete with those guys. At least with that but attitude. At least for the single player and the skirmish stuff, I'd like to get all the achievements. 
Um, and in order to speed up the process, I started exploiting the AI to make battles easier. Occasionally, I'll challenge myself. Like, I'll purposefully take... Like, one night, we were just chatting while we were playing, and I was like, I'm taking an entire Lance of Light Max, which a Lance is four, four Max. That's the most you can take into combat. Uh, into a mission that is rated to be, like, probably going to have mostly heavy. So the missions have a skull rating. Uh, you can have a half skull all the way up to five skulls. And that just gives you a rough idea of essentially the type of mechs you're going to be fighting. There's little modifiers that your uh, XO gives you then he'll like give you a hint that a mission might be easier or harder than its skull rating and usually he's wrong usually he's wrong yeah um but uh but i i purposely took four light mechs into a mission that was mostly heavy mechs just to to challenge myself and i won barely like i had i had uh Two mechs, two of my own mechs were completely destroyed. Somehow both of my... Well, I managed to eject one of my pilots and the other one miraculously lived. I had one mech that was limping. And then I had one mech that was fine because it was set up as a sniper build. So he was never in close combat with any of the heavy mechs. But... Let's see. We we were talking about story, and then we yeah. got off on that. And I mean, this is how this is going to go. We'll try and stick I to mean, what there, we were talking about. I mean, about, there but... is a story, but it, the be the game really is in its mechanics and in its random generation of missions. Yeah, I I really like the story, but it gets at least you know twenty five percent of its credit for me because it's adding to the overall BattleTech lore. And it's one of those things, it's like, you don't need to know all of the stuff that I know to get what's going on in the story, but you can see, like, little, you know, little Easter eggs or little, uh, hints of you the, know, of, nods of nod, towards uh, stuff. The, uh, nods to the old school lore or things that you know are coming up in the overall story. Yeah. Uh, of the universe, and so, I should say, not, you know, uh, yeah, this that, individual little story. Yeah. It just And so it I'm just like, felt... oh, there's that place or there's that thing or that person and... You know that that's really nice. This the story itself, I thought was was still pretty decent. Yeah, I thought it was it decent was... enough. I think my biggest problem with it overall, outside of the segregation of story gameplay mechanics, where you're ta- uh, they talk about you being such a key part, but honestly, you n- never really take place uh, of any of the major battles. You're always the distraction. Yeah, uh, you're all is you're always either a distraction or there's a couple missions where you're like doing sort uh, of a spec yeah, ops spec thing. ops uh, strike, but my uh, it's also anticlimactic, <laughs> where you know at the end of everything, uh, the intel that another uh, character did off screen uh, essentially turns the tide of the war, and he gives up. Uh, the big, uh, the big bad, and you have this final duel with uh, the cousin of uh, the uh, um, um, uh, Lady Camellia. Yeah, uh, you you fight her, La- uh, Lady Kamala. Uh, you fight her uh, cousin Victoria uh, as the final mi- mission of the story, and and a four v four battle essentially. And it feels highly anticlimactic. And even the mission before that, because you have this point of no return, and it's this big, oh, you better be ready to uh, field multiple lances. Even the mission before that, where 
you're uploading this virus to this uh, dropship that's incoming because you pissed off this uh, local lord by killing his son in a previous mission. Uh, felt like it, uh, you know, it was just uh, handled kind of, eh, well, so that's a thing. I would have loved to actually fought, uh, you know, had a more direct confrontation with him. Yeah, I thought he was going to be the the main boss. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I actually forgot about him for a long time because he has this big cutscene, this isn't over, and then you don't see him for like... 30 or 40 hours. Well, you, you hear from another character, like, once you turn in the, the evidence that basically turns the tide of the war, you hear, like, oh, we're gonna recall him immediately. And it's like, okay, I guess, well, he's not coming back. But then, like, you see him again in, like, the yeah, pre-mission cutscene yeah, and everything, yeah, and I'm like, went oh. Rogue. Yeah, he, he went rogue. So I was like, okay, cool. He's gonna be, like, the big boss that you fight. And then you kill him by doing the mission and uploading that virus, yeah, and, and you, his yeah, ship you, slams into the planet and blows yeah, up. you don't even... Uh, directly confront him ever i did so i was let down by the ending in a storytelling perspective but this is one of those things where that my knowledge of the universe or whatever my previous experience uh, allowed me to like it a bit more because during the time that this game is set mech warriors are considered sort of like knights were in the medieval era and so lots of battles to determine the fates of sometimes entire worlds would be fought by these knights in arenas. And so that made me think like, okay, like we're sort of having this final showdown as a, a gladiator match or, you know, it's like these. Yeah, maybe that's just you know, these where knights. I don't have the history of uh, uh, the universe. So, you know, encountering that felt like a bigger letdown to me because of it, because I don't know the significance of it. So I'll give you Yeah, that and I mean, that's, that's going fair. Into like, that, as someone that never read the books, only have a passing knowledge of the MechWarrior and, by extension, Battletech franchise by playing, I would say, two or three MechWarrior games uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, it felt like a huge disappointment. Yeah. And like I said, I was still let down overall by the ending, but I still got a little bit of a. But, oh, this but it is also neat. has the sequel hook. Yeah. Well, well yeah. The, the DLC hook, I guess I should say, because they are going to expand it through DLC story DLC. So yeah, there is that, but still, it. Uh, yeah, I was wanting more. I was wanting. Uh, I, I was wanting that fight with. Hell, I can't even think of his name. The guy with the red hair. You know. You know. Uh, it looks like Angry Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although to be I to be honest, I can't think of his name either. So, <laughs> well, he was just a sad character that you highly pissed off. That I was expecting, if not to be the big bad at the end, to be some sort of uh, you know, driving force. I keep I I want to say Colonel Renard, but I know that that's wrong because that's the main boss bad guy from Met Commander 2. But for some reason in my head, they're they're very similar characters in the way that they they present themselves. You know, angry, you wronged them at some point in the story and they're going to get you. But at the end of Met Commander 2, you actually fight Colonel Renard and have to kill him. So, yeah, and this you just uh, upload a, a virus that you happened upon earlier and that uh, was even mentioned in Yo, once again for ages, yo. Oh, 
it just uh like I said, it left me wanting. Yeah. Maybe if um maybe if the scope of the battles were a bit bigger, which granted I don't know how they'd be able to do that because uh, the game runs a bit rough. Yeah, the game has got uh, it has some... FPS hitches. It has times where it has to sit down and think about it for a bit. Which, if the AI handled uh, you know, battles a bit better, would I'd be fine with. But it does stupid shit. Its load times are abysmal. Yeah, I have even on my SSD. Yeah, I swapped it over to SSD, and it still takes ages to load. Yeah, it it takes about as long to load on my SSD as I would expect it to load on my hard drive. Or my hard disk. So, I I don't know what's up with that. Um, they've said that a lot of the performance... No, where was... Let's see, what was it I read? It wasn't Hairbrain Schemes that said this. It was one of the modders. Uh, something... It, it uses the GPU to do all of the menu rendering or something. And the way that it loads things slows it down. Because it's not properly utilizing your CPU. Like, it only uses, like, two cores or something like that. Whereas the game could benefit from using uh, more than two cores. Yeah, and for how the game uh, runs uh, and looks, it you know, it's definitely rough. It definitely could have used optimization uh, pass or two. Yeah. They've... they've uh, The first two patches they released were optimization and bug fixes, and it still has issues um it i have noticed after the most recent big patch that i'm not suffering from what appears to be a memory leak i i it feels like it or it felt like the ksp issue where every time you would change a menu the game would slow down yeah um it doesn't feel like it's doing that anymore but also since the patch came out i haven't played for long oh no that's not true for memorial day i played it for several hours and i would, didn't have to restart the game at all yeah to i have noticed issue. that there's fewer uh big fps hitches yeah but uh, um, I, you know, I, I, for as rough as it runs i would expect it to look a lot prettier not to say that it's an ugly game but you know it's adequate uh but yeah, maybe I, i'm gonna be a little bit more judgmental on the game because several times the camera gives you a really really good look at a rock <laughs> yeah, yeah this game has the usual XCOM-esque uh, woes with the camera oh where occasionally you know there's you know a- interesting fighting but eh, let's look at the side of a mountain let's look at the rock or let's look underneath the ground um and you can't actually truly turn yeah, off you can that make it camera very stuff. rare but it still happens very often because it's, there's so many turns yeah. because each yeah. you know each phase of the or each turn of the battle is five phases, and each uh, turn is its you know, or each movement is essentially its own uh, turn. And uh. yeah, and you've got four mechs, and the opposing side usually has eight mechs plus occasionally some vehicles plus turrets. And the campaign missions can have as many as like twenty five or thirty units in them at a time that each get their own individual turn. Yeah, so. I don't mind specifically the speed of combat. BattleTech has always BattleTech and MechWarrior have always been slower games because the mechs are big, slow, stompy mechs, not you know Japanese yeah, it's not, mecha. It's mech, not mecha. 
but you know with the all of the game hitches and staring at rocks and trees and things that can definitely get old quick yeah and all the uh all the fucking cutscenes during travel and uh, as much as you have to travel as well uh, in the unmodded game where uh, each planet has usually two or three missions at, yeah. at best sometimes even just one and if you get a mission where you have a kobayashi maru where it's essentially a no-win scenario with your current build which does happen, which you know, I don't have as much of a problem with because you could always, you could withdraw at pretty much any point whenever it's your turn uh, or uh, whenever a mech is severely damaged, you could eject the pilot. It destroys the head and anything that's equipped to the head slot, but allows you to essentially, if a mech is badly damaged enough and you have irreplaceable parts on it, you could save it by just ejecting. Uh, I don't have as much a problem with that. It's just, okay, I just traveled here. I tried to do the mission. It's, uh, you know, it's a, a two or three skull, but it's more of like a four or five because of just the stuff they're throwing at me. Plus, they just happened to uh, summon random reinforcements that just spawned behind me and completely screwed me over. So now I have another two weeks of travel and, oh, look, I get to see, watch all the cutscenes again. Yeah. Yep. Modding the game helps with that some. The the mods that I'm using um, remove the story. What are they called? Milestones. The milestones in the story, which forcibly upgrade all of the missions that you're at. So you could actually, by doing the story too quickly, you can make it to where that you're just fucked. Because the missions grow in difficulty with each of the story missions. So I use a mod that removes that. And then rebalances some of the difficulties of the planets so that you still have some high difficulty missions to go to. But what that it does is you have like a, a mercenary board rating that just grows as you complete missions. And the difficulty is more based off of that than your campaign progress. But that's, that's one mod that I use. And then the other mod that I use um, changes the variance and the difficulty or changes the variance of missions and how many missions there are on each planet. And you can you can set it yourself. So I actually set it to uh, fifteen missions per planet. Oh, that must t- take variance. so long for the initial load whenever it renders everything. Yeah, it does take a little bit of time, but it's fifteen minutes or fifteen missions per planet with a variance rating of three, which means that you can have anywhere from uh, a skull and a half below well, to a skull and a half above. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's I, good. Yeah, I did that not to that extreme. Uh, but uh, the way that they handled the game in the base, yeah, it's I would say pretty, pretty much a requirement because it's very, very, very difficult to be able to balance everything. Otherwise, it's yeah. not impossible, but uh, it, I just couldn't take uh, watching the jump screens anymore. Yeah, that's not. I got past that one. I don't know. I just, I don't have a problem with it. I like the soundtrack and it's very pretty. Um, and well, I also went started around... to uh, listen to a lot more podcasts and turn down the soundtrack because, you know, just was spending so much time traveling, which is a shame yeah. because the soundtrack is very good, but oh. Yeah, I've been listening to the soundtrack on repeat at work like every day. It's an excellent soundtrack. It's. Almost entirely, um, 
That's what I'm looking for. Orchestral. Um, Looked a little bit of, uh, of a you know, chorus every so often. Yeah. The, uh, I, 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 I don't I, know if I he was just... My favorite thing is actually the cutscenes, though. Uh, you know, the, the art style that they went with this painted uh, style. Yeah. It was just absolutely fucking beautiful. Yeah, they, and that's also look, the few times that they actually have uh, voice work. The the game is, for the most part, actually unvoiced. Which the reason for that is that they have a lot of customization on your in on your player character, and they'll occasionally just call you by your first name, or then call you by your call uh, call sign, or call you uh, by your full name. And they yeah. can't do that otherwise. So I understand why they did it, but still, you know, it kind of takes you out of it, or at least it took me out of it whenever there's this long segment of, okay, he's talking, she's talking, he's talking, but well, this other person's talking. And there's no voice work whatsoever. Yeah. It's, uh, I, some of those campaign cutscene images. I'm going to get a couple of those. I'm going to go through and pick out which ones I, I like the best, but I'm going to get a couple of those actually printed to canvases to hang up uh, in my office. They're, I mean, they're gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. It, so. With some limited animation on them, but they do it really well. Uh, either limited animation or it's all in uh, the particle effects, you know, uh, smoke or fire, that sort of thing. Yeah. Just absolutely excellent work on that. I would say that's the most graphically impressive part of the game. Uh, the uh, on-the-ship stuff is uh, decent enough. It, it honestly feels very StarCraft-ish, doesn't it? <laughs> Where you're going around yeah. talking to the individual people and you know, asking their uh, story, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's all broken up into individual portions and that sort of thing. And, you know, it, it feels like StarCraft 2 and how they handled it, which, you know, isn't wrong. But, you know, it's just the yeah. cutscenes blow everything else away graphically. But you can yeah. tell that they spent a lot of time with that. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, well. Well, you were going to mention that the composer uh, tweeted you. Oh, yeah, that's right. The composer tweeted at me after I said that I've been listening to it at work a lot. And I was like, well, that's neat. He did good work. Um, Let's see. What else? There are many. Yeah. There, there are still many things. Yeah, we're still on the sort of the mechanics of things where uh, I, I would say my... The thing that pisses me off most mechanically uh, is uh, the overall the random difficulty spikes, but more the difficulty spikes that you have no control over, particularly whenever they spawn reinforcements, which they do it way too fucking often. Uh, there was a string of missions where I would say four or five times I got reinforcements, and it was always uh, whenever you... Uh, started to familiarize yourself with the battle maps you're like okay it's this map so if they spawn reinforcements it's going to be over here oh look it's reinforcements from over here but 
then they would throw a wrench and occasionally there was reinforcements. There was one time that I randomly on the second turn had a mech shot in the back and an arm blown off by reinforcements spawning uh, right on top of me. I was yeah. not pleased. Yeah. I do not yeah, have to handle had... the reinforcements at all, but the uh, the maps are too small, I think, to really handle that properly. Yeah. Because some of them are just microscopic. There's the probably the worst one for reinforcements is the uh, some of the polar ones that are mostly just a, a basin in uh, uh, in between two mountain ranges uh, with a couple of entrances. Yeah. Or there's another one that's a valley with a, a mountain in the middle of it, in uh, uh, some forest around it, which, uh it's just irritating that okay uh, th- this mission looks decent oh fuck more reinforcements and i, I love how the exo always says uh, a uh, commander we're getting a, a signal of reinforcements as they're shooting me yeah sometimes though if you kill reinforcements first when you finish it'll be like oh there's reinforcements coming in but then it'll be like you killed everyone already uh yeah i love to uh there were, yeah there was more than a few missions where uh, the reinforcements were intermixed with the actual um, objective. So I would kill the last objective just, you know, uh, by chance. And, oh, uh, and we, I got reinforced. And then mission successful. Yeah. The random missions definitely can get old. Yeah, I, I, would, very say, repetitive. Yeah, I would say that uh, the game... Uh, uh, does tend to get very samey. Maybe it's just because the, and I'm not sure if this is just because lore, but uh, it keeps throwing the same type and same variants of mechs at you constantly. With uh, occasionally, there's the yeah you know, that little spice of life, but you know somebody's fucking thunderbolts, for example. Well, that has to do partially with the area of space that you're in. I discovered this later on after I looked up a table that had a lot of stuff in it because I'm trying to find specific mechs to complete the, I think it's called like the full stable or something like that, where you have at least one of every mech variant in the game. And there are certain mechs both that you fight with or fight and can acquire like via the, the store that only spawn in certain systems or not systems, certain areas yeah, of which, space. Uh, the game limits you to, I would say about half the map uh, for the entire campaign. Yeah. It's kind of weird yeah, you... how they have the uh, so this huge map and they only use a small portion of it. But then again, that ties into this is a very small story. Yeah. And I mean, this is even the overall map, which is pretty large, uh, is only a tiny portion of the actual Battletech map. So, um, that's somewhere that they can obviously go with expansions. Yeah, I, I understand that's why they did it like that, but you know, it's you're, you're. I was expecting to see the map open up before you know the actual ending. Or, you know, have it uh, utilized in some way. But no, it's just there. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of... um, So, we haven't really talked about the random events that you can find. Yeah. And the game definitely needs more. Oh, I got the burger event so many fucking times. But there there are actually a lot of random events. Because each system has got modifiers to it. Like, rich, um, trading hub 
former Comstar present or sorry, former Star League presence, Comstar presence. There's a bunch of modifiers. And certain events are either more likely to trigger or only exclusively trigger on planets with certain modifiers. So there's a decent amount of them. And there's like you'll you'll find random events that have a, a solution that's grayed out and even when you have like a fully upgraded ship. And you're like, how do I get this solution? Well, you do go to a planetary system that has the right modifier, get the event, and then do the, I guess, proper outcome or the outcome that gives you that option. Like, there's one way that you, you'll constantly, or not constantly, but you have a random chance to run into ships that are have that the people have got some sort of plague. And you can, you know, do nothing. You can sell the medical supplies or give them medical supplies. Or you can give them some of the... Like special medical supplies, supplies, it's supplies. like antivirals or something. Supplies, motherfucker. Well, I was going more but, UHF uh, on that. I got you, but uh, but you know that give pox antivirals is grayed out until you go through uh, a mission or a random event chain where you actually catch the pox on your ship, and then you have to get the medical supplies, like the special pox antivirals. And then you also have to get extra ones. Um, like you can buy extra ones or steal them. Or if you have a high enough reputation with uh, the planetary government, you can get extra ones. And then you have the extra ones and then you can give them out to other ships. And in doing so, you can actually remove the pox plague from uh, planetary systems. There's one where that you can like pirates attack your ship. And if you go to a world that has like a pirate base and you wait around long enough, eventually there's a a uh, event you can find where you can actually join up with the pirates, um, and then you can accept uh, a pirate contract, and then in doing so, you become liked by the pirates. And so anywhere you go, then you can click on the button that's like uh, friendly with the pirates, and you can be like, "No, I'm a pirate too. I worked with so and so." And they're like, okay, awesome. And then you can get some random things from that. Like sometimes they'll give you well, money. I still think or it's tech. funnier to you know, uh, prep the uh, drop ship uh, to be able to fire on them. And he says, no, no, no. The last number is zero, not O. Nobody uses O in an account number. Yeah. There's little bits that of is... humor here and there. Like whenever you first beat uh, uh, the ship engineer, uh, not Gang, but the other one, uh, the lady. Uh, and yeah. and Yang, this guy, this big tough guy with uh, you know, a robotic arm, he says, uh, "Well, Doc. Uh, by the way, I'm gonna call you call you Doc. I hope you're okay with that, <laughs> or or something <laughs> like that." Yeah, I think it's like get used yeah, to it get or used something to it. like that. Is what he says. Uh, just little bits of humor here and there, and yeah, you know, that's also interspersed throughout the uh, random events. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, some of them, uh, you know, I kind of don't want to get rid of uh, because of that. Like, the, the well, probably the best one uh, that I encountered was the, the zero-G pool, which... Uh, yeah, the zero-G pool is one of the best yeah, which, ones. Uh, we both did uh, different outcomes to it. Y- yeah, yeah, you said so, nothing, didn't you? Yeah, so one of the upgrades you can get to your ship, which gives you a morale boost, is you can put a pool in. Um, and there's a random event that can happen... Where that people go skinny dipping. You, people go skinny dipping, and it's like you see it on camera, and 
the two choices are like you say something about it or you don't and i picked don't say anything about it because it's like they're all adults i'd rather than blow off steam this way than getting into another fight in the and what was the outcome or something like that there's nothing there's no lasting consequences okay for me i got on the intercom and said uh essentially uh Please note that proper atti- uh, swim attire in the pool is a requirement. And uh, just to note, there's a camera on in the hallway outside the pool. And then throughout the air ducts, you just hear this screeching, oh my god, and I got too morale for it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I figured if you did that, you would lose morale. I, I thought, I mean, yeah, I'm I at thought, the- oh, what the hell, because... Yo, Yang was like, I don't know if I could look at these people in the same way. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm at the point where, uh, like, my morale is at 50. Yeah, I'm in the so low 40, I so I figured, what the hell? Yeah, I don't... But I guess people thought it was the, funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's some other random events, too, that even though they repeat, they have different potential yeah, outcomes. Like, there's regular poker night, um, and you have different choices for poker night and there are multiple out random outcomes for each choice that you make so you can like play casually or play to win um and you'll get a different flavor text and then potential different things like normally you just get like one or two morale but sometimes like if you play casually and yang does really good he you might get a a bonus to um tech points your tech points Which which is how quickly you can repair and modify mechs so that's nice. Yeah, or um, people make it I don't... high spirits or low spirits based <clears throat> on events, which uh, affects how the morale is spent in battle, which we haven't mentioned, because uh, as you build morale uh, outside of uh, the battles, it's brought into the battle as well uh, to a maximum of 50 points, and you're able to spend those points on two abilities, either Vigilance, which gives your uh, mech a lot more tanky abilities. It, I think it's half damage. Uh, and it's uh, redu- it removes it removes all stability damage, which is the ability to knock over the mech. Uh, but it doesn't stack with cover, and cover is actually not really a requirement to use all the time. And uh, it uh, in the beginning of the game, I think I really hurt myself by uh, playing more XCOM like and trying to stick to cover. Uh, but the other one is uh, being able to spend it to use a cold shot which boosts your accuracy but also allows you to target a certain component or certain section of the mech to either disable it or kill it outright so if uh, a a pilot is really skilled i believe with tactics they get a cold shot bonus so they are able to hit a particular area of a mech a lot easier and you know if you shoot off the head of a mech it's um dead and you get all the salvage of the mech. You get three components, which allows you to build the mech outright. Yep. Uh, but let's see. Well, uh, anything else on mechanics, or should I just go down my bitch list? <laughs> I don't think so. You can start going down okay, your list. Uh, how about, uh, well, something that kind of irked me was that it seems like the game didn't really give enough info for me to sometimes make a smart decisions, particularly in loadout uh, in the mech base, mostly on heat generation. It doesn't tell you exactly how much heat generation or how much uh, heat you dissipate without just you know, getting enough time to 
get a feel for it. And that could sometimes come to bite me in the ass, like the uh, st- uh, the default stalker mech, or uh, or I should say uh, the modified st- uh, stalker I was using. Uh, it couldn't even alpha strike without overheating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's just because I didn't have enough info. It also, just by extension of that, there's not a lot of customization on the mechs themselves outside of just weapons and a couple of upgrades, which are very samey. You know, you have a cockpit upgrades, which is either morale or injury resistance. You have arm upgrades, which is damage uh, to melee attacks. And you have leg upgrades, which is uh, uh, st- it's uh, death from above uh, plus damage or resistance, and then targeting computers. Oh, and there's the gyros, but they use up so much room that you know for a good a chunk of the mechs, you are either sacrificing weapon slots or you know, you could only use one. It just it starts to feel very samey, I guess. Uh, particularly just uh, with the low variance of mechs, but maybe it's just because you know I was still tied to the campaign area. Yeah, you start seeing a larger variety once you go out, um, and you see different, particularly different, um, different default loadouts, which really helps. Um, yeah, maybe it's the just computer... maybe it's just the because the computer always uses the default loadout for that variant. So, you know, being tied to a small area space and seeing, oh, it's another fucking Wolverine. Oh, look, it's Lotus again. Or Locust. Yeah. It's, it gets very old. You know, you, you see the tonnage and you, and you, or you see, oh, uh, well, that was obviously a long range missile 15 salvo. So that's either a Jaeger mech, a Thunderbolt, or a Catapult. Most likely. Yeah. Um, that's part of the 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 fun to me too, though, is like being able to pick out like exactly what I'm going to be fighting based on tonnage, and then like you see them attack you from out of visual range. It's like, oh, so you can narrow it down even farther. I mean, I could see how that would be annoying and frustrating, but I find that maybe if there was just more variance, or the computer actually made use of all the plus weapons, where the yeah. You know, Okay, that uh, mech has LRM-15s uh, plus plus. So, okay, that's going to be a lot more dangerous. I need to worry about that mech more than I otherwise would. Because I never saw an enemy mech use uh, any of the additional equipment. I never saw them use plus weapons, unless that's just behind the scenes. It's just, yeah, no, it's uh, the same mechs. I don't... I don't think any of them use the melee enhancements or anything like that. Um, those are more player driven. And I, they have a chance to drop plus weapons, but I don't know if they actually use them. I've never seen one when looking at the chart, like the weapons chart, but I kind of just got to the point where it's like, I know every weapon that's on every loadout and it's like, okay, I don't even need to check this anymore. I know exactly where the the ammo is. I'm going to shoot at that specific place when using my called shot. Oh, look, it's whatever. a hunchback. Uh, time to shoot in the shoulder. Yeah, time to destroy its right shoulder. But, uh, yeah, they, they do get 
more variants once you're in other places, um, which is nice. Yeah, I just wish that was tied into the main campaign or uh, in, in the area space where the main campaign takes place because, you know, it's, a, I would say, what, it's about a third of the map? A quarter? Yeah. It's a big chunk in the middle. You have all of the unaffiliated planets and then you unlock the Taurian concordance area before you finish the campaign. So somewhere between a quarter and a third initially, and then maybe closer to half by the end of the campaign. Uh, but let's see something else on my bitch list. Uh, well, I have the random difficulty spikes, but we already talked about that essentially, even though sometimes that kind of uh, yeah works out for me. I mean, that's how I got my, first full assault mech that the game just doesn't give to you which i'm not sure how i feel about it giving you uh, essentially the super weapons because it almost feels kind of cheaty after a while you mean the lost tech yeah. weapons because you get the, the yeah the gauze rifle and then at the end of the game when you get the atlas you get the medium pulse lasers and the, and the grid, er yeah. large lasers yeah honestly like if you if the plus weapons didn't exist, those would be much more viable. But with you being able to get pulse weapons or not pulse weapons, plus weapons, mm -hmm. those become a lot less useful. Like I've got almost an entire weapons, you know, inventory full of plus plus and plus plus yeah. plus weapons at this point. And uh, I yeah, keep going the... to the uh, to the point of return, or uh, what I was suspecting was the point of return, which it was. Uh, I've outfitted pretty much every one of my uh, main loadout plus any additional uh, spares I thought I would use with all plus weapons. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the mech bay was busy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just, the, the, there's just this huge power jump and that's also the point where the game uh, where the main uh, campaign feels like it loses a lot of its punch. You know, that one mission where you're running all the assaults, uh, uh, that's not your company. It's the, uh, you know, uh, the people that you left behind. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of the uh, the point where the difficulty curves just drops off. For the most part, there, uh, the mission where I had to disable the uh, three generators right at the end. Uh, uh, that was a little dicey, but that was more that uh, I took... Uh, a couple of assault mechs, so my uh, company was moving slower than it should. But even yeah. then, I took uh, my Highlander that had uh, its, uh, you know, it was the one with the Gauss rifle, and I've outfitted it with pretty much as heavy a weapons, weaponry as I could, all plus-plus weapons, and I just sprinted it for three turns up to one of the generators, while the entire other company went to the other. Yeah. I, I nearly lost that mission the first time because both mechs that I brought with high mobility got legged, uh, so they were limpy, and so I almost ran out of time. I got that one on the very last, uh, very yeah, last. Yeah, I got on the last turn mostly just because I brought too slow of mechs, uh, and also the game doesn't give you a good indication of where you can jump and where you can move to very easily. So even though the Highlanders are able to do uh, pretty big jumps, uh, 
there was places where it looked like I should be able to jump up the cliff side, but I couldn't. Yeah. That's also a huge irritation. It's just that it doesn't uh, give that information uh, very easily. And whenever you're running a mech that doesn't have jump jets at all, and you're having to rely on the actual terrain, there's a few times that it'll uh, path you, uh, you know, you just click uh, out towards, and it'll path you towards uh, that way. But then it'll get confused and take you in a different way and uh, take you towards a cliff. That happened to me a, a couple times after a mission. Uh, one of the few times that I had to go to the uh, landing zone uh, after a mission. Thankfully, it was outside of combat, so my hunchback was able to just you know, hoof it. But you know, it still was irritating. There should be some uh, sort of indicator on uh, the ground. I mean, they do indicators for uh, the uh, landing ships whenever they're going to you know, surprise you with the landing ship. Well, don't don't stand there. It's going to drop on you. Yep, and it'll blow your mech up and kill your pilot. <sighs> uh, but uh, speaking of mobility, uh, the light mixture uh, for me just felt fucking useless after a while. Or close to useless, I should say. Yeah, the light mechs are a lot better than initially than I initially felt. Um, you have to learn how to play them properly against heavy mechs. Uh, you, a light mech that doesn't have jump jets is practically useless. Um, and even some of them with jump jets are also useless. The best light mechs in the game... Uh, well, actually, let me step back a second. One thing that I really like about this game from a mech building and designing standpoint is that it actually takes into account the fact that ton mechs are designed for certain things and so sometimes a 45 ton mech can outperform a 55 ton ton mech at a specific task because that's what it's been built for so it might have better internal heat sinks um which like each mech has an internal heat seek system inside the reactor. And so some mechs have got better ones of those. So you could actually put more firepower on a smaller chassis because you don't have to load it up with, you know, 10 extra yeah, heat sinks so that it doesn't melt. I was talking about where it doesn't show you the heat generation properly. It's right. just a bar. But, but in, in doing that, like having mechs that are specifically good for certain tasks, the, the light mechs, um, in particular, really benefit from this. So, for example, the Commando, uh, which is a 25-ton mech, can mount more firepower than almost any other light mech. The, the specifically the one that uses the or that has like three missile hard points on mm-hmm. it, because you can put multiple SRM sixes, which are the the biggest short-range missile launchers and in, in the game at this point on it, which have like they they're a weapon that sort of punches above their weight class. They weigh 3 tons but can put out as much firepower as the much heavier auto cannons or PPCs. So you can have a light mech that can do over 150 damage with plus plus weapons later on in the game on a 25 ton chassis and you put I think the max is 6 heat seeks on it. You can get 5 evasion every turn. And you've got like a little jumping bean of death that can hop behind heavy and assault mechs and blow them up in a couple of turns um and and you you do have to rely on sort of the randomness of evasion to not be hit versus i didn't like it is that you know 
Uh, the tankiness. Uh, the game throws so many weapons at times that even low hit chance eventually gets a uh, hit in. And as you get shot at, you lose evasion. Yeah. Which, that's a big... So, that's one of the big... There there are a few deviations from the tabletop, which this is mostly what it goes by, that I assume they did for gameplay balance reasons, but that still don't quite make any sense. You don't lose evasion in the tabletop game, which makes light mechs a lot more viable, because they can't... Well, while you talk about I mean, the they, tabletop, you can still, I need to step away for just a moment. Okay. You can still gang up on the lighter mechs in the tabletop, but because their evasion isn't stripped every time they're shot at, uh, they r- maintain a higher difficulty to hit, which means that they have a much higher survivability rate, which means that they're much more viable in the tabletop game. Plus, I should wait for Rage to come back for this, to talk about weapon loadouts. Okay, sorry about that. I had to eject there for a moment. Another thing that makes lighter mechs more useful... Um, well, that just works differently in the tabletop. Um, and it makes the default loadouts make a lot more sense. Is the way that heat works yeah, and the no way, way that weapon heat. ranges work. Yeah, so in the tabletop version, um, to sort of compare the heat system to what they did with the, the heat bar, when you start to get around the 25% point, you start taking penalties because... you parts are at, at various parts on your mech are starting to overheat and while the overall heat is fine that it's not going to melt or blow up your ammo um you might have to take a movement penalty and walk slower so you generate less heat or you'll take a um an accuracy penalty because moving your arms too much to aim will generate heat and the farther you go up that you start taking internal systems damage much sooner and then on top of that you can blow up your ammo if you overheat too much. Yeah, on this, it's very binary. Uh, up until a point, uh, you know, you're, you take no penalties, as far as I could tell. Then you start taking structural <laughs> damage. Then the mech will just shut down, and then it'll. Uh, you have to restart it on that mech's next turn, and until that point, they could get called shots on it. What, which, yeah, it's just like they're knocked yeah, out. Which, uh, 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 that makes fire starters actually one of the more dangerous light mechs if they get the drop on you. Right. But so that heat management means that mechs have to have a much wider array of weapons um, because you're going to be doing a lot less alpha strikes. So you need to stagger fire on enemies so that one specific weapons or parts don't overheat. And two, you can't rely on that overwhelming knockdown power of an alpha strike. So, yeah, I, yeah, you, Alpha strikes you know. so much in this game, actually. Yeah, that's why mechs, like, so many mechs have, like, one LRM-5 or one LRM-10. So that they can be firing at range. Um, while they close in. Ranges are, while they close in. And ranges are much larger in the tabletop, too. Do you think this game would have um, done a lot better if the map size was just, uh, let's say, double? Yes, I think so, because you'd get more time before the AI just bum-rushes your position. Um, the map sizes are fine for multiplayer, because you're dealing 4v4. with... 4v4. A, a, 4v4 human intelligence. Yeah, so, but whenever the computer throws, you know, uh, 8 in this little valley, the, there was no way I was going to deal with that. It was... Yeah. Uh, the map uh, was uh, the valley, and it was 4 heavies and 4 assaults. Yeah. 
I mean, multiplayer is a whole different animal since I brought it up. It will only take me a couple minutes to cover this. Because you're dealing with other human players, it's just a whole different ball game. Um, I tend to play very specialized mechs in the campaign. And while there's some specialization that can be useful in multiplayer, in general, you want to play it more like the tabletop, where you have various weapons that can engage at various ranges, because human players are going to try and kite around you, and for the most part, they're not just going to charge in every time. You're going to be dealing with a lot more armor, so being able to strip armor is a lot more useful than it is necessarily in the campaign. I mean, it's good to strip armor, period, because, you know, that's how you work down your opponents to kill them. But human players, in my experience, tend to max out their armor so that they max out their survivability. Only, you know, like a specialty, like long-range mech is going to strip out its armor for more weapons and ammo. So, just the human factor makes all of these systems shine a lot more and actually play a lot closer to the tabletop game. Um, you know, there's still the, the stuff to deal with heat that works differently and a few other things with the way that pilot skills work. But Yeah, we never even uh, mentioned pilot skills. No, you you mentioned them earlier with the, the morale uh, system. Oh, well, that's uh, the morale is not the individual pilots. Oh, okay. Well, and also the multiplayer pilots, you've got like a random assortment that have various skills and various things. And you can't do anything with the pilots except assign them to a mech for your lance for multiplayer. But the full customization options are there. The There's no plus plus weapons in multiplayer. And most of the special, like the cockpit mods aren't there and stuff like that. But otherwise you have access to the full range of weapons uh, and mechs. Yeah, since so. we uh, mentioned it now, uh, as the pilots uh, go on missions, they get experience and they level up, uh, which increases uh, all their stats in four different areas. And at the, I want to say the five and the seven or five and eight range, they're able to get a special ability and you're able to get three abilities overall, two from one and one from a, a second, uh, tr- uh, essentially uh, stat and all the others are unavailable to you which allows for some uh, interesting uh, specialization for various uh, 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 pilots like a long range mech may want bulwark so that they could just sit and uh, constantly pelt while not have to worry about also being in cover or yeah bulwark mean uh, if you don't move you get the guarded bonus which is if uh, you take 50% only take 50% damage, and you only take 50% stability damage. Yes. Uh, and multi-shot is also very Im- uh, important, where you can shoot at up to three targets, I believe, and each individual weapon could be selected for a particular target. So if you have, let's say, a a, a, a mech that has a decent uh, direct line uh, weapons, let's say uh, just medium lasers, because that seems to be the bread and butter for most of my loadouts are medium lasers. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much classic battle yeah. tech. Medium laser is the, you know, the standard. Yeah, let's weapon. say I have medium uh, lasers with a uh, with a uh, with a pod of uh, LRMs as well, and my pilot has multi shot. Well, I'm too close to most of my targets for long range missiles to really have a good hit chance, but I could do multi shot and fire them. At, at a further target and then come to bear with all my medium lasers on someone else. 
And then there's uh, others, Juggernaut, which allows melee strikes to knock a, a mech back in initiative, which I honestly never used. I, don't, I didn't melee as... I used that a I lot. I didn't melee as much as I probably uh, uh, thought I would have. Uh, it just... I, I had more overall power uh, in my weapons, uh, but I was also was building where I wasn't redlining all the time. I only had a yeah. couple mechs that I had to cycle weapons in order to keep up a, a good chunk of my damage. Yeah, most of my mechs ran hot, um, but you know I, I did a lot of melee based combat. This is the first mech warrior, battle tech, whatever game that actually allows for melee combat. Uh, the, and the tabletop does. The tabletop has whole mechs built around melee combat. There are actually melee weapons like yeah, axes but not in the and swords game. and shields. Oh, not in this game. Not in the game, but you can still go punchy-punchy. And there are mechs that get bonuses to their melee damage because they have, uh, for example, the Centurion has got a claw hand, and so it gets a melee damage bonus because it has a claw. So it's like a, a claw. melee weapon. Um. You'd think Wolverine so. would have claws. <laughs> you would think so. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, it's. I'm just looking at my list here to see what else there is. Unless you want to continue on this. No. Um. Let's see. The only major complaint that I have, outside of a few minor minor technical issues, I was fortunate to not have. I, the game in 200 hours, the game crashed once yeah, i had which, three hard crashes crashed the desktop i had a few lockups and uh in the next to final mission i had one time where it just didn't generate the salvage which meant i i couldn't continue on because i couldn't choose my salvage uh which uh the, the way yeah. it handles uh salvage is that uh, whenever you negotiate a mission uh, uh on the random missions uh, you could choose uh, if you want more salvage, more sea bills, money, or have less of one or both to get a more reputation with that faction. Uh, on the and depending on the the amount of salvage you uh, negotiate for, you have a certain amount of priority picks. You get first pick on you know usually somewhere uh between zero and I think the maximum is seven and it changes depending on how much you negotiate for. Because it didn't de- generate the salvage, I couldn't uh do my priority picks, which means I couldn't continue on to the next screen where it assigns the rest because it's priority and then it's so many others. Even whenever you have no priority, I think you get always get two picks at random from the uh, AI. Yeah. Uh because I couldn't do that, I had to restart, and I didn't do a save during the mission. So I had to redo an entire about hour-long mission. And it was fucking tedious, because that was also an escort mission. And allow me to, or partly escort, and I have to say, I fucking hate escort missions in this game. Particularly because the XO says, oh, they're going to follow your mechs. Though, they're going to run ahead. There and usually, once you get towards the four to five skull range, and you want to take heavier stuff, that's also less mobility. But the APCs that you're trying to escort are still as fast as hell, so they'll outrun you right, run right into the enemy. And there was a couple times that I had one 
stop literally at the foot of an enemy mech and it just stomped it. Fuck you on escort missions. Yeah, the the way to get around that is to just not trigger the escorts to spawn until you've gotten out ahead of them. How am I supposed to do that when it spawns the reinforcements? The APC runs right up to where the reinforcement's coming, and then it just stomps them. It's a spawn. It's not... Yeah, the AI is the pretty stupid. But, uh... But, I mean, that goes for both sides, because the, when you're doing a convoy ambush, yeah. the escorts will just, like... Or, not the escorts, but the main convoy will just run right up next to your max, and you can do the same thing. So at least it's fair in that respect. It's stupid for both sides. Yeah, the escort uh, missions need to be completely redone. Uh, where it follows the uh, the lance, uh, which is the group of mechs, and be able. I would also like it where you could give general commands to your allies, because on the final mission, also you have uh, two allied tanks, which vehicles in this game are fucking deadly. They're essentially mech weapons mounted to a small frame. And they could be devastating, particularly some of the carriers where they have three PPCs, which are just fucking devastating. Or was it like 30 or 40 uh, short-range missiles? Yeah. No, they have more than that. I think they have 60 short-range missiles. I mean, just... This I mean, just... A ludicrous amount, enough to you know just kill something outright, uh, up into like the assault range of uh, mechs, and even then, you know, it's not going to be a pleasant day. That that mech's going to be knocked down, pretty much guaranteed. Uh, but I would have loved to had it where I could designate a target, or yeah, you know, or the or the AI would see, okay, they're targeting this mech. I'm going to focus on that instead. In that next to last mission where you're assaulting the base to upload the virus. Uh, the first time I did that, they actually weakened a good chunk of the turrets. So whenever the, uh, you know, they tried to retake the base, they were able to kill the turrets a lot easier. Idiots. And this was after the turrets were shut down, by the way. <laughs> My biggest issue with the game comes down to some of the, like, minutia of things that don't quite match up properly. Like I've bitched and bitched and bitched about auto cannons. They're too heavy. They don't get enough ammo. Like they cut the ammo in half from what the tabletop is. Most of the other weapons get more ammo per ton. The auto cannons ammo got cut in half and they're all too heavy based on what they're supposed to be on the tabletop. So it's really difficult to make useful auto cannon mechs aside from the ones that are specifically di- designed around it like the Jaeger mech or the hunchback yeah, the hunchback uh, or... my, my uh, hunchback I nicknamed bazooka joe uh i was just uh it, it was devastating because it would punch a hole in the armor and then you know i would uh, get a couple of called shots and you know something that was pretty dangerous would be down Particularly, yeah. and, and again, uh, I assume uh, whenever something had uh, less armor, just because of chance, you know, it would uh, be ramshackle or shoddy. So instead of full armor, it would be 50, 25 percent, so 75 percent. So yeah. that would be even I, uh, more de- uh, deadly. OK, continue on. And I assume it was done for game balance, but still it annoys me because auto cannons are one of my favorite classes of weapon. Auto cannons and PPCs and PPCs are, are still fine. Um they're they melt mechs I, 
on both sides yeah. of the cannon. Indeed, they generate the most heat out of any weapon, which is what they do in the the tabletop and all the other games too. So it makes sense. A lot of people have bitched about those, but that's one of those things that I'm like, I mean, that's what the weapon is. It's really powerful. Has it does a ton of stability damage. Messes up their targeting systems for one turn, so that they get a one difficulty increase on their attack. Like I can deal with that for some heat. But um, the other thing that annoys me is that they have this. Uh, what's the weapon class called? The little ones, the pers- anti-personnel weapons. Uh, machine guns. Um, yeah. Well, they're the machine guns, light lasers, and uh, the small lasers. Yeah, or small lasers. Um, and they're in this separate weapon category yeah, now. Support. So you can't put yeah support weapons. You can't put a machine gun in a ballistic weapon slot on a mech, which is frustrating as hell because some versions of the mechs like for example the urban mech um the urban mech has got three or four ballistic hard points on the right side but because machine guns are support weapons now you can't actually use all of those hard points it's impossible and this even if the auto cannons were the proper weight and the ammo was the proper amount you still couldn't do it because there's not enough tonnage available on that mech and so a lot of builds that worked in previous Mech Warrior titles or Battletech titles no longer work because you can't put weapons where you have always been able to place them and can place them on the tabletop. And I don't know why they did that. The, well, the so support the support weapons, weapons whenever you're in melee, melee yeah. they do. But I don't understand why you couldn't just attach a little tag or modifier to those three specific weapons. Because it, it basically well they're, well, they're not just melee if you're close enough, but it's yeah, pretty much uh, right in someone's grill. Yeah, or heat sink in this. And case. I just don't get it, and that annoys the shit out of me. Those two things: the auto cannons and the support weapons. They bug the shit. out I would of me. also like to see uh, the ability to add flamer fuel because each flamer only has what is it six shots. So, uh, t- yeah. using a, a fire starter of your own. Uh, you're good for one or two mechs, and that's pretty much it. Or, you know, uh, yeah. trying to use something to, you know, take a mech to a bomb, you know, take a mech to a lunar biome, for example, that has a couple uh, uh, flamers on it to try to disable another mech to be able to get a couple uh, good shots on it to maybe try to get a headshot so you get good salvage on it. Well, because of the limited fuel on it, and the inability to add more, uh, you know, you're going to do it to one or two, and then they're just dead weight. That, that's just a head yeah. scratcher, particularly because the machine guns, you're able to add as much ammo as you want, and the machine guns are better at disabling individual components in the mech once you strip off armor. Yeah, they have a critical hit chance boost. Yeah, and that's even before any pluses. Yeah. So, those are... Those are my two big problems, my two nitpicks. Yeah, I think mine is it doesn't give a, enough information for things that are, are very necessary, mostly around heat. Uh, it doesn't uh, give enough information for movement, uh, even uh, in the mech bay, but also on the battlefield, not be able to see uh, impassable terrain. Uh, some of the bugs... Uh, uh, for I had to actually dismiss a couple of my pilots because 
They were stuck with a, a negative attribute, uh, the bad spirits attribute, which re- required them to use a lot more morale to be able to fire off a, a, a call shot at any point or vigilance. And one of them was a, uh, built as a long-range sniper, which, you know, I want to have a called shot every so often. Well, because of bad spirits, they kept you know, using up twice as much. And once you go beyond 50% or below 50% morale, you also don't get the inspired buff, which gives you a bonus to hit uh, flat out. So it was a detriment to even use them. And they were dead weight on the roster and costing me a lot of money. So it's more bugs and information for me than anything else. And I'll, I hope that, you know, yeah, I'll probably play this again uh, after a while. I think I need a break from it. Uh, uh, seeing more variety on the mechs uh, would be a yeah, add a lot more uh, life to it because uh, I just I'm so tired of Wolverines, uh, Thunderbolts, lo- uh, Locusts, and um, actually for a while I was seeing a bunch of Highlanders, which is weird because you were seeing none. Yeah, I haven't seen a single Highlander outside of the one that it gives you uh, at for completing that one mission. Yeah, for a while I was seeing nothing about Highlanders as assaults. Also, I would love to see a, a reason to actually collect, uh, have a good assortment outside of specializing certain mechs, being able to run more than a four uh, mech lance, which I realize lore, but you know, this is one of those weird squad based strategy games where it doesn't give you the option to expand your uh, roster you take in and because of the overwhelming numbers at times it almost feels like it's built around having uh, I would say about six backs at times yeah um or even just be able to you know, bring in a support vehicle to to pilot well, even lore-wise, I mean, a lance is four mechs, or really four units. A lance just means four units. But the the clans use points, which are five units, and most mercenary companies deploy More than one. between two yeah. and three lances at a time. So this goes into something that I'd like to see in future releases as well, but... The, the way that campaigns or that mercenary units typically work is not single mission contracts or even multi-mission contracts on a planet. Typically, they would contract with a government for X amount of time, and then they would just serve essentially as part of, if not that government's armed forces for you know X amount of time. So they would have permanent bases on planet and multiple lances of mechs, infantry, vehicles, aircraft... And, you know, I understand they don't want to perhaps put everything in the game for you to control, but I would love to see longer form contracts on planets that allow you to deploy multiple lances. They've talked about having you be able to deploy additional forces so that you make more use of your mechs and and pilots uh, to, like, secondary battlefield objectives or, like, separate missions, Uh, you know, sort of like the mobile apps and the way the MMOs do stuff, you know, where they're on a timer. Uh, and that's a step in the right direction, but yeah, I don't, I don't like the being artificially limited to one Lance, the entire game. It doesn't make any sense. Like in the beginning, it makes sense when you have, 
you know, four or five mechs on a, a drop ship that's way too small. Yeah. That's not meant to be used that way, but you're doing it anyways because you're scraping by. But once you oh, upgrade to the Argo and and you get, you know, uh, 18 battle mechs and 24 or 25 pilots, it's like, okay, come on, let's use let's use more. Yeah, it just feels like it's built around a system that they never were able to quite get in. And I do know that they were planning on more subsystems, but they just weren't able to get them to work right. Or or play yeah. right, I should say. So maybe it's going to be in the DLC. Maybe we'll see patches for it. But I I think that there's a room for a lot more here. Uh, but there's yeah. also a lot of busy work. There's a lot of time wasting that really inflated my hours. I would say that I would uh, probably about a third of my time uh, was either moving between missions or just letting the clock run and waiting for mechs to be repaired. Yeah. Using the, or going in and modding the files to have more missions per planet kind of eliminates that. Occasionally, like, I'll burn through all of my mechs and they'll, you know, they'll, most of them will be damaged. I'm like, all right, it's time to move to a new planet and then use the travel time to get all my mechs repaired. But. Yeah, I think the unless you have other no, stuff, I think, I think a, the only thing I'm left with is it for me. So a couple of things that I'd like to see in the future, like I said, um, those sort of long term contracts with planets. I I would love to see some sort of base beyond just the Argo. And I, I have no idea how this would work, but other mech games have let you have bases before that you take control of, and I think that goes hand in hand with long term operations on a planet. More story campaigns, you know. There's a huge universe and a shitload of lore to any story campaigns base some campaigns do. off of. I hope any story campaigns that they do is that uh, makes you feel more like a central role instead of yo. Oh, look, a distraction. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see as well. Like they they advance the timeline a little bit, get into the fourth succession war, uh, the clan wars, more Max, more Max. Uh, and yeah, more mechs. Because most of my favorite mechs, unfortunately, do come from the clan era. They're not necessarily all clan mechs, uh, but how ba- there were a whole bunch of... Well, I was going to say, and how about have it where the light mechs, and well, the lighter mechs are more useful throughout the campaign. Yeah. Yeah, if light mechs didn't have evasion stripped, maybe you had to fire at one twice, or they could only have their evasion stripped by sensor lock. Or something like that. Um, that one, that would make sensor lock a lot more useful. And two, that would make light mechs more viable on your side as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't nice. use sensor lock nearly as much. Uh, mostly, I had it just because I when some of my uh, pilots in the assault mechs uh, to get Master Tactician to be able to move quicker. Yeah. Granted, it's not a necessary thing, but yeah, for some of the mechs that are more single target anyway... It doesn't make sense to get uh, multi-targeting. Yeah. Uh, but center lock, usually it was, yeah, something is uh, slightly out of range and I want to pelt it for a while. And, uh, and yeah. missiles are just uh, obnoxious. I was... They're not... Well, I was taking two mechs in that each had at least uh, 30 missiles. Yeah. Each. I'll just take one mech that has 60 missiles. I just put the pilot on top of a, a pod uh, on top of an LRM pod. Yeah, 
in the rumble seat and that's it. <laughs> Maybe strap a couple heat sinks <laughs> to it. Yeah. Strap a heat sink to the pilot. Here you go. Yeah, well, considering my usual uh, fire support uh, pilot, he was completely silent. You'd hear him key up and then uh, st- uh, uh, key off and that's it. So, you know, it's not Just, like he would complain. Yeah. So, overall... Uh, this is definitely not I, a game for everyone, but, uh, mostly because they don't do a great job of teaching you base mechanics outside of move and uh, basic shooting. If you haven't played a turn-based squad uh, tactics game, I would say go play XCOM first. Or go play uh, Xenonauts first. Or go play another game that teaches you a lot better. Because this teaches you the base mechanics, but it leaves a lot for you to figure out on your own. Yeah. Which is disappointing because I do want to uh, suggest it a lot more, but between not teaching you a lot, uh, it having some fucking infuriating mechanics, it being still buggy, uh, it, I mean, uh, my uh, salvage bug was in the latest version just two nights ago. Uh, some of the random difficulty spikes in having to essentially heavily modify the game to have it be, uh, not waste your time so much. It's a maybe if you're a fan of the genre or you like really, really stompy robots. Yeah. I, I, it's, if you like the if genre, you like the genre, it's uh, it, it's worth it. But because it doesn't teach you, uh, it's uh, hard to suggest to someone that hasn't played a lot of uh, squad strategy. Yeah, if you yeah, if you like the genre, go for it. If you like uh, big stompy max, potentially. Um, if you have played games previously in the Mech Warrior. Uh, in Mech Commander franchise, possibly. Um, o- overall, if I was gonna like grade it, I'd say it's like, ooh, like an A minus, B plus, A minus. Like trying to grade it as objectively as possible. Like I, I forgave a lot, or forgive, I forgave a lot of its faults because of how invested I already was in the series. And how much I like turn-based strategy games. Yeah, I think I might be um, a little, uh, little bit more realistic on this because I don't have the history with uh, Battletech. Yeah, it's it's regardless. It's definitely not like an A plus game. Yeah, it yeah um, it's def- maybe an A minus. Yeah, it's definitely not the second plus. coming of Christ, even though some people were claiming it <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, if they could uh, solve uh, some of the stuff uh, in. Uh, patches mostly revolving around the ai and how they show info or if the mods are a little bit easier to handle because right now you have to have a mod loader and it's a little finicky yeah and every time they patch it you have to go in and rerun an injector uh, to write a dll file or overwrite a dll uh and that's yeah. not something that's very user friendly it's not terrible but it's uh, it's I don't like giving a game a complete pass just because oh well mods can fix it so 
it's tough yeah. for me to say that, you know, even though I ha- I did enjoy most of my time with the game when it didn't bug out and leave me fucking infuriated. Yeah. I, and that's another, I didn't experience most of the bugs that you did, so I don't have that as well. And that's, you know, yeah, if, more anecdotal than yeah, anything. If this wasn't a game club I, game, uh, whenever it bugged out on the last mission, I would have shut it down for a, a, a week or two because I, I was infuriated. Because that was an hour-long mission. And an hour-long, tedious mission. It wasn't even difficult. Uh, They were talking about, oh, you need to be able to field uh, multiple lances. Uh, That mission, I went in, and uh, uh, of course it's three mechs because, you know, it's a full lance. uh, Plus two APCs and uh, two tanks on your side. Uh... Three of my mechs, my two assaults that I took, because I had a, a fairly good stable of assaults by this point. I, uh, once I hit the point of no return, uh, the option for it, uh, I didn't have to grind as long as you did. But then again, I didn't build up as many pilots, so maybe that's it. Uh, the two assaults that I took, my two Highlanders, were just had damaged armor, which automatically gets repaired, so they are fucking pristine as well as uh, my uh, fire support, which I was going to swap out for an Atlas anyway fire support uh, build uh, for the final mission because I was expecting that to be a lot tougher. And just the short-range brawler that I took that is by design uh, there to soak up a lot of damage was the only one that was even damaged. So it was just tedious. It was even tough. Yeah. So, uh, well, we talked about Battletech for a yeah. long time. Uh, to be fair, I uh, thought we uh, expected that. True. Very true. I think we went longer, though, than we expected. I think. I think you were lowballing. But maybe so. Regardless, um, our next Game Club game for June is going to be... Tales from the Borderlands. So we're going from a much more mechanics-based game to a pretty much purely story-based game. I don't have a problem with the Borderlands universe uh, outside of it being a little meme-y so the story or the uh, humor doesn't age quite as well. Uh, But I just got sick and tired of uh, the uh, first-person shooter. So, you know, this will uh, be a way to experience it again. Yeah. I I like I still like the Borderlands games. Um, I haven't played the pre sequel, but I enjoy Borderlands. I have too. no I've interest in the pre sequel, mostly because Claptrap. I like Claptrap. He's terrible, but I I'm like him. Rip his voice circuits out. But uh, I have been meaning to play Tales from Borderlands for quite some time now, and it just sort of came up. Yeah, we, were yeah, we did our picking our yeah, game we, club game. Uh, did our usual, uh, you know, five games off the list, and I was like, oh well, I, I never went through uh, the games from Twitch Prime, which since I have Amazon Prime, I'm getting those now, and I was going to add those. And uh, Borderlands, uh, uh, Tales from the Borderlands is on here. Hey, I've been wanting to play Tales from the Borderlands. Well, okay, indeed. Uh, so I'm looking at the time. And uh, I need to be getting to bed soon, so let's yeah. move this on along. Yeah, the uh, um, I mean uh, the 
two story uh, that we have or the story we have uh, do we want to quickly comment just how fucking stupid star system is yeah we can do that real quick and then let's skip i guess we can read kyle's tweet but we'll skip discovery q and close on out of the show so yeah star citizen is offering however ludicrous pack but we're saying the ludicrous pack for 27 thousand fucking dollars and you can't even see what's in the pack unless you've spent a thousand dollars or you just go to uh uh, you know, uh, was this uh, MMO Pulse uh, to see it? Yeah, you can see it there, but you know, on on their actual page, you can't even see it until you're you've spent a thousand dollars. It's Star Citizen amazes me with how ridiculously crazy it is at this point. Yeah, I'm, there's no way that Star Citizen's going to come out and not get uh, hugely criticized. No way. Yeah. No matter how good it potentially could be, it's going to receive a lot of rightful, justifiable criticism for how ridiculous this whole process has been with it. Yeah, well, we should uh, mention what the pack is. It's 117 ships and 163, uh, well, total extra items like super colliders, service uh, equipment, fuel pods, and various skins. It's still $27,000. It's just... Yeah. It's just unfoundable that you could spend that much on virtual spaceships. And I I heard someone say, I don't know if this is true or not, but well, some, uh, well, let's I, just I call heard it someone say on something. You have to spend 1000 to be able to even fucking see it. Yeah, but I heard someone say on somewhere, on a YouTube video I watched about this earlier, that that's not even actually everything in the game. Of course not. He, he, I don't know if that's true or think, not. That's just what he, he said. If you spent $27,000, that'd be like a lifetime pass. You get everything. But green, yeah. that, uh, it makes me wonder how they're going to fucking balance this. Because they're selling so many, uh, you know, various packs of various, uh, uh, you know, different uh, ships, different uh, various things. It's, how are they going to balance this once this releases? Because right now, you know, it's pretty much just the wild west of, okay, here's this pack. Okay, here's this pack. Okay, now there's this pack. Uh, is this just going to be, uh, you know, uh, a pot of whales and that's it? Maybe so. It still doesn't work on my computer. Oh, I'm glad that there, there was this temptation at first when, you know, Star Citizen first came out. And I think it was actually Scott Manley that was doing videos on it and was uh, talking about, you know, some of the cheaper packs that was, you know, like 10 or 15 bucks at the time. And there was this yeah. temptation of, you know, uh, maybe, uh, but I just didn't have the spare money uh, at the time. I didn't want to yeah, put it towards a game that's still years and years and years off. And now still years and years off, even what, like three or four years now. Yeah. Uh, just seeing this I- just puts me off of uh, even ever wanting to play this even though i'm not even sure how they're are they is this going to be a, a subscription model this is going to be uh yeah pay once is it going to be free to play what i think it's pay once yeah uh, i think i hope it's not twenty seven thousand dollars. I, I bought in at like the 25 dollar mark four five years ago at this point and it's never worked on my pc ever despite at this point two or three different hardware iterations and many updates of the software. 
So I'm just like, maybe one day I'll get to to play this game I spent some money on many years yeah, ago. I, I don't want to call this a scam, but oh, it, it feels like it's just a ringer of money. This is either going to be the biggest financial flop or it's just going to be just this crazy make wow in its heyday look like nothing a success but honestly i i'm just seeing uh i'm not it's not seeing how this could uh, be viable in the long run with $27,000 packs uh, essentially just upsetting the uh, the balance of the game i mean that's just huge pay to win isn't it yeah i would think so i I don't know. It's just it's this is crazy and stupid, and I'm sure people will buy it. I'm sure people will buy it. Yeah. It, and honestly, if I had that kind of money, you know, fuck you, I'd buy it. If like, I had that kind I of money, I actually don't, don't think I would. I, but like that would I would, be my hope I would have more sense. Yeah, I would hope so too. But yeah, I, I don't I'm know. just popping over to the. Uh. Uh, Star Citizen subreddit because I want to see what people are saying and there's a lot of people just ignoring this uh, uh, stop being unreasonable development is slow but moving ahead is it unreasonable to expect something out after four years nope not to normal people uh, th- I think Star Citizen is kind of the uh, definition now of feature creep or maybe, uh, you know, too large a scope. Yeah. Because they're just going absolutely stupid with some of the uh, details. Uh, to Both a good and a bad way. Because it is amazing just what they're doing with this game. But at the same time, it's ridiculous. Okay, let's see. Star Citizen. Off- okay, here's the announcement thing. Uh... Uh, basically saying, oh, well, it, yeah, that's a thing, uh, pretty much. And, and everyone yep. being very defensive, which I just don't get it. I, I really don't get how. Uh, is this a, a combination of both I, I, I'm too old and too poor? No, this is just fucking bullshit is what it is. That's all it is. They're doing it because they can and they're going to get get away with it because. It's Star Citizen. They're Star yeah. Citizen. All right, well, I have to go to bed soon, so let's 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 roll yeah, on. Uh, uh, I'm good. Whenever Star Citizen releases, it's uh, there's going to be a lot of shrine for it. I think on my part, uh, just uh, watching the whales. Uh, okay, so uh, tweets we had Kyle tweet. Let me scroll, scroll, scroll down. Contribulations, and that's it. Yay! If you wish to email us, vglpodcast uh, at gmail.com or tweet us like Kyle did, vglpodcast on the Twitter. Uh, and uh, part of the podcast where you go first since we're skipping Discovery Q. Indeed. Uh, I have things on YouTube, Gaming Psychologist, Twitter, at JMA4707, uh, on Twitch, twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. And you can be my friend on Steam. My username is jarthur4707. Well, that's the fastest you ever went through that. And I'm going to have to take a nap at work tomorrow well, somehow. I might have to suck it up and sleep on sorry. the floor. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and if you still fine. know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is hernia.
what I'm trying to avoid. A hernia. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and my channel is in basically low power standby mode with just rim world. And I'm going to try to get a Sunday sampler done. Just a bit of a talkie talkie bit because my backup game, I played it a bit and it sucked. <laughs> uh, it was a, a little simple platformer that just handled horribly. It looked nice. And that was about it. It, it was pretty. But I just couldn't stomach playing it enough to be able to even give a decent opinion on it outside of this control scene sucks. It's too floaty and it's uh, too imprecise to be as precise a platformer as it wants to be. So RimWorld on Gaming with Caffeine Rage, or you could see me tweet uh, probably rather boredly uh, uh, from the new apartment uh, via mobile on uh, Gaming with a CR. And if you uh, uh, wish to catch uh, the RSS feed, vglpodcast.podbean.com. And we're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, which is also paid for by our Patreon. Patreon.com slash vglpodcast, which pays for this absolute madness. Or you can just email us, vglpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us, vglpodcast on Twitter with your letters, voicemails, gaming-related topics, questions, Random comments or vague threats for talking about Battletech for three fucking hours. <laughs> Our intro Indeed. and outro music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod and find his work at incomputech.com and. As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my. And your voice. snores. Bye bye now. Uh, see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>